welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood. As we continue our months-long reviews, looking at school, school activities, things you do in school, things that happen in school, in 1980s horror movies. Up next, we are graduating from the class of 1980, and we're, we're, we're reverting back to 1945. If you like long drawn out scenes of the characters walking around and staring at things if you like army killer outfits if you like really good death scenes I'll give them props on it uh, they, they, did, they did a good job when it comes to that oh right. yeah and if you like graduation parties brother this is the review for you because the retro blood is talking all about the Prowler. Jay Allison, James Klein, what's happening, Allison? How you feeling about this what? graduation party over here? All right, we had some we had some warning yeah. signs from 1945 to not do this damn graduation party. We didn't listen. Yeah, we didn't listen for 40 years. For 40 or years, uh, almost yeah. 40 years. Yeah. The 35. What is it? 35 years. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 couldn't tell who the killer was, no. even though right when mm-hmm. I turned on the film, I I told who the killer was. <laughs> really did you guess from the beginning yeah i knew it from the beginning like um i mean did you use the scooby-doo rules to figure it out I, so, you know we, we've been watching you know obviously me and you you know and maybe a lot of <laughs> listeners out there we're, we're avid fans of watching horror movies so when you've watched as many horror movies as we do you you can more likely you can tell who the killer is right off the bat you know what i mean yeah i i I figured it out pretty early, not 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 right at the beginning, but but I figured it out pretty early because I figured like, so I used the Scooby Doo uh, th- um, formula in that the the one character that disappears from the show, yes. altogether must be the killer. That is true. Um, it did have that Scooby Doo formula, didn't it? On there, but he didn't. The, the it, problem yeah. is, I was waiting for it though. I wanted to have it so bad. Like, yeah, I did it because of you kids. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like I wish we would have yeah, got I that want him promo. To, to pull his mask off and then yeah. say, "I would have got away with it too." It weren't for you, kid. Yeah. That would have been so but, uh, great if they would have <laughs> added that in this film. I would have been so happy because you know it, it was kind of like it, it's kind of like in wrestling. You know, when we have a heel turn, more yeah. than likely yeah. we're gonna get the you fans promo. Yeah, you right. you fans don't like me. That's why I turned yeah. heel, brother. You fans like in horror movies, it's basically like, well, you kids. You know, I fucking broke up with me 50 years ago, so now I'm out here killing again, brother. 
Because I only care about one girl that broke up with me 50,000 years ago. Yeah, no, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought it was either going to be the killer, the person that it was. Yeah. Where I thought halfway through, maybe they were going to give us a swerve. And it was going to be the wheelchair guy. Like maybe he's not really in a wheelchair. Yeah. We didn't even f- um, find out what happened to him. He just disappeared. <laughs> at the pace of that's the true. Earth. He just disappeared out of the movie, too. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I still don't under- really get the reasoning. I mean, that guy, does, I mean, I don't know. I guess. I guess. Well, I know the reasoning. That guy to me didn't look like he could have been in World War II, but even in 1980. But whatever. yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He did look a little young for his uh, age. So yeah, maybe he's one of those that lied about his age and went to war at like fifteen or whatever. Yeah, it's possible. But everybody will be talking all about the yeah, uh, yeah. scene Good. by scene review of the Prowler. This is definitely a f- this, this actually though. I will give this movie a lot of credit because boy, like they did a very good job with their death scenes. I was yeah, very well, Tom impressed. worked on it. So, oh, yeah. okay, that makes sense. I mean that that it was a great job. I mean. You know, yes. the the plot line was you can find little holes in it and shit, but the the actual <laughs> overall yeah. story I thought it was I was very good and you know the good old graduation theme with it too mm-hmm. was yeah. uh, was nice. But a couple of things before we get into the history segment, I just want to talk to everybody like this, you know, so me and Alice, you know, we live the gimmick, brother. You know, we don't we do. just talk about the horror movies, we don't just talk about the metal, the bro wrestling, we actually go to the shit too. So, you know, a couple of things I, I uh, for this month that I went to, I just want to share on here. Uh, the first one is, uh, I think we talked about it last time. I saw that Evil Dead movie, and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the thing I mostly want to talk about is I actually went to uh, a SmackDown taping recently over mm-hmm. here in Knoxville, brother. So I just want to give, uh, you know, some people that maybe never been to a wrestling show or some you know give them a live experience because i've been to many i know you've been to many as well too oh yeah 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 and it's it's pretty interesting to see like the wf live you know because especially when you go to a tv taping i mean you know usually like you could see the format of it's kind of weird some of their formats that they do and they have gotten better mm-hmm. about it you know since i've been going there Pretty much when you get there, you know, you get one big match at the beginning. You might get a second big match, all right? But just the way they do, like, their commercial breaks and stuff, like, it's just kind of, like, weird. And it's, like, you know, when you're when you're going, like, you, sometimes, like, they'll do, they'll, thing to, they'll do the thing now where you have an entrance, they all come out, and then they just cut to the commercial break. And that then, drives me crazy. And then, like, they'll show, like, different ads, and then they'll do, like, the new thing that they've been doing is they'll... You know how, like, in, like, sports games, like, hockey and stuff, they'll, they'll film the crowd doing yeah. some goofy stuff? Yeah. Like, they'll do that now. Like, oh, wow. it was the, it was the strangest thing. I think it was during... Well, it was during the, the, the tag match with the, with the women. They did, like, the DX yeah. stuff. Like, it was on commercial break. We had the champions out there. They're sitting there for, like, five or ten minutes. We're doing this DX stuff all around the crowd. You know, which... You know, I get it. I mean, to be honest with you, that's kind of a good idea. Because it's the old, you know, Jericho thing. Where Remember that time that he was reading off his uh, list and, and from Nitro? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it was like Dean Maleko's thousand holes and Jericho's listing, <laughs> listing off the thousand holes that he had. 
Yeah, and every fifth hold was the arm bar. Yeah, yeah, it's the arm bar. Yeah. <laughs> but before he did that, what he did was he, he basically, when they were about to come back from commercial break, he was like, you guys suck, you guys suck, you know, all this stuff to get them all riled up. And then when you're back on camera, everybody's all energized. So the new thing yeah. that they do with WWE, you know, if it works, is they'll get the crowd doing like the DX sign and get them all pumped up and ready. Then when they come back in the commercial, they're not just sitting there on their hands and knees, you know? Right. Well, yeah, because that's been an issue. Because I read, I read uh, in the dirt sheets uh, the other day that that oh, the at the raw taping, yeah, no, the yeah, no, yeah, the dirt sheets, you know the yeah the dirt wrestling sheet. guy, yeah, yeah, the book. So I read wrestling. in the wrestling dirt sheets the other day that during the raw after uh, backlash, the one after the one in Puerto Rico, that they had to pipe in crowd noise because the crowd was so much quieter than the ones in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico was like on fire. Yeah, it was crazy. And then they get back to, uh, you know, Jacksonville and then the crowds are fucking dead. Yeah. And oh, I feel that like was, that's they, been a problem for a very long time in WWE is that they, the crowds just sit there. Yeah. Like they're not live, but I mean, they don't really give them anything to cheer about either. Sometimes I mean, they not. kill, they kill. Well, okay. Sometimes they do, but like they kill any, like, the way they're formatted has to be now. They kill any um, momentum that they have, and like I've heard, like old old wrestlers talk about this. Re old wrestlers who will not be named talk about this, and they're right in that. Like back in the old days, a wrestler would be pissed off if you went to a commercial after his entrance because that kills his heat. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it just cools the crowd off. And like they, I guess they have to do it because these TV stations are paying so much money for this product that they have to have, they have to be able to find more commercial breaks. And people are only going to be able to tolerate commercial breaks of a certain length, so they can't just make the ones they have longer. Like they can't just go to commercial for ten minutes, um, you know. So they, so they have, they'll have an entrance, and then they'll have a commercial break, and then the other guy will come out, and then they'll have a commercial break. Yeah. Then the match will be about to start. Then they'll have a commercial break, and then the match will actually start. And it's like they'll have three matches before the, the I mean, before they'll have three commercial breaks before the match starts, and it just kills it. Like it's just like holy shit. Like please, like there shouldn't be any commercial breaks after the first entrance, at all. Yeah, it's just of a main event for sure. Yeah, it just it's just very interesting. So I, the the most interesting one to me when it comes to the breaks was when they had the bloodline yeah. come out. Now the bloodline was not coming out to do right. a match, but they're doing a promo. Yeah. But they make their entrance, great entrance and everything. Crowd's hot for them, obviously. You know, Roman Reigns' entrance takes forever, but you know he's the champion stuff, so you know he could take his time getting to the ring. Everybody, you know, yeah. likes their entrance he's the head and everything. Of the table. Yeah, exactly. I mean, his entrance has to be like at least eight minutes long. Like it takes forever. <laughs> But it was strange. Like, I was okay. We got them out there. We got the entrance going. I thought we we're just right going to get right into the promo. No, they fucking, they got into the ring. They did their whole posing. And then the lights just go dim. And then we have all these TV packages. I was like, they're doing the breaks with these guys just standing in the ring. Like, so it went off the air and then they showed TV packages. Like I watched the show, but I yeah. kind of forwarded through most of it. Well, no, no, no. And so, when I came back to the bloodline thing, they were already in the ring. Okay. Yeah. So I guess on TV, maybe they're just in the ring, but in live, they had their whole entrance. They all came out. All right. But well, I, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't watched it back. So what happened live was they did their whole entrance. 
they got into the ring and then they dimmed the lights and they showed the video packages of all this other stuff. But it's just weird to see a top act get the, I'm going to wait until the commercial break is done. You know? Like, I thought they would do that. I I get it for the talent, like the women's tag or something like that, or some little, you know, like Baron Corbin coming out there. We can give him that treatment. It was just weird to see that treatment be with the bloodline. To me, if you're a top act, you need to, like, do the whole segment all at once. You need to do the entrance oh, and the promo all at once. I didn't say it killed the segment because it didn't. It was just, to me, it was just a little awkward. It was just like, okay, we have, because it's one of the things is like, we got our top act in the company. We're here live. And for about three or four minutes, they're just going to sit in the ring with the lights out. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's just weird. It would, it, that yeah. part was a little strange to me. Now the promo, the segment they did was fantastic. I thought that was great. And the actual whole show was pretty great too. Like, I mean, we got a lot. I the one I so the Knoxville crowd. We've been there before that arena. They're actually a lively crowd, yeah. so yes. it's a very good arena go to to watch wrestling because the crowd's usually very hot. It just during some of the TV tapings, the some of the stuff they do is just very interesting to me of how they placement yeah, and stuff. I, I think it's really weird. I couldn't really tell on television, but did they have the whole upper deck tarped off like they did when we went and no, saw it? Actually, or was it no, actually, most of it. I mean, I saw some people up there in the cheap seats and everything. It looked like a packed house. Nice. Well, I mean, yeah. this is a much better show than the Raw that we went to. I mean, you know, you had a tournament. You had yeah. a world you world title tournament. There's bigger stars. Um, Even though the one we went so, to was fun, stars, though. That was actually yeah. a fun Raw that we went to. Yeah. But this one did have a lot bigger stars. You know what I mean? It had, like, Edge yeah. on there. You know, it had Rey Mysterio, AJ Styles. We had the whole Bloodline segment going on. It, it had a lot of stars on there. So it was a good It was a good episode, SmackDown. I enjoyed it. But, you know, for all the people out there to, you know, if you're interested in wrestling, you listen to us about a little bit of wrestling. When, um, you know, the only thing I could say when it comes to new age wrestling, like, to mm. me, the shows that me and you have been to so far... I would definitely have to say that I would give AEW a little bit better on the live perspective. Oh, absolutely. But, yes. I mean, especially with their TV tapings. I just think AEW's, like, match quality since... since, So, we talked about this, like, when we talk about WWF and Jim Crockett promotions, where... When you're watching, when you're watching the WWF, it's a good show. Like you have a lot of good stars and stuff. But to be honest with mm-hmm. you, a lot of the matches are very similar. Like even the good ones are still very similar. They're, they're still good matches. You know, like the uh, the yeah. triple threat I saw with Edge, Rey Mysterio, and AJ Styles was a fantastic match. I thought it was like, yeah, the crowd was yeah, hot. Right. Everybody was hot for that match. But then we then we get to these other matches, and it's like okay, we're we're, we're seeing a little bit of the same formula. What I like about AEW as a wrestling fan is like you get different styles. You know what I mean? You get like different mm-hmm. matches, like different quality matches and stuff. So it is something I noticed when I was going out to some of these live events. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, AEW, well, it's a little different now. But when it first started, it was like a cross between what Ring of Honor did for their live crowd and what wcw used to do for their live crowd like it was a cross between going to a nitro and going to a ring of honor show like it's like like it was kind of like the best of both of those things like you had the storytelling that a nitro would have 
but you had the match quality usually that a that a that a Ring of Honor show would have. Yeah, um, you were going to get way more value out of an AEW show, uh, may, maybe too much value as we've seen before. Um, but they'll give you, you know, you'll go to a show to a Dynamite show, and you'll see at least three hours of show, and probably more than that. Yeah. Um, you know, just like when we went to that Battle of the Belts thing that was an hour. Was it Battle of the Belts? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we went to Battle of the Belts 1. Well, that was a little tough, um, Like, that just had a bunch that of was, squash that was, matches. That's true, but it went on forever. Yeah, it like, did go on forever. Like, literally forever. Was that the one we had to leave early, or was it the Dynamite where we had to leave early? I think the, Di- I think the Dynamite we might have to leave early. Yeah, it was the dynamite we had to leave. Yeah, early. it was the dynamite, right? Because we stayed over for AEW. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the dynamite was the one that, like, we did a two-hour dynamite, and then then they started taping black, black, dark, and I have no idea when what time that show ended. Like, we we stayed until yeah. like eleven or eleven thirty, and they were still having matches. Well, at the time that episode had the, it was like the the dark two-year or the dark like um. It was like some sort of like special dark. They were doing two hours long. Oh, right. Of it. Okay. Right. Even that show's not even on there anymore. So that's <laughs> right. They, uh, they canceled dark. Well, canceled. now we're going to have collision though pretty soon. So. so we'll have a Saturday show, which will be awesome. A live Saturday show. It's true. Yeah. It's no, be no, pretty no, wild. No. We're going back to the live Saturday shows, brother. We talk about what those all the time uh, in here. Exactly. I wonder if their uh, talent's going to complain that they have to work two days a week now. Eh, maybe. No, I heard they're going to rotate. Right. So. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But speaking of Any, uh, wild anyway. <laughs> big shows, yeah, we got a lot to talk about when it comes to our history segment over here on the Retro Blood. Absolutely. Because we're talking about the what's happening around the pro wrestling and the metal scene around the release date of the Prowler. And mm-hmm. we've done this year before and this month before, too. Like, this 1981 is a great month for horror, or not a great year for horror movies. A great year, yeah. I mean, we got like Friday the 13th Part 2, which we talked about, you know, mm-hmm. last week, because we also did, you know, our last week episode was also from 1981 as well, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when it comes to the final exam, brother, uh, check my it out. My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, My Bloody Valentine. We've done that one. Also you know, one De- Deadly Blessings. And mm-hmm. around this exact same month, we had two movies that we reviewed in the archives, Evil Dead, the first one, and Halloween mm-hmm. 2. So, like, this October is wild. Okay? It is. And, yeah, I mean, I feel like 1978 to 1981 or 82, maybe, that's like the golden age of American horror films. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, especially slasher films. Like, that was like... That was... That was that was. I mean, if you just watched all the movies from that period, you every movie you watch would be a classic. Everyone, including this one. Yeah, yeah, they're very very well done. A lot of these movies are, you know, uh, um, what do you call it? Trailblazers. You know, a lot of people yes, would copy yes. the way these formatted movies are. But speaking of uh, copying a little bit, so I think we're gonna talk a little about what's happening in the pro wrestling around this time. And we never really talked about this promotion before. But they mm-hmm. are like a huge promotion that's still going today. To today, mm-hmm. and it was a huge show that they were doing. It was their tenth anniversary show, and this show actually happened on the exact release date of the Prowler. It was October 
9th, 1981. Yep. So if me and Allison <clears throat> were like that guy, that green shirt guy, who goes mm-hmm. to all the wrestling events now, where we can just shop, uh, pop up anywhere, anywhere in time, uh, we would be in Japan at this particular yep. point. We would be going seeing the 10th anniversary show in Tokyo, Japan at the Suman Hall. And this, we would be part of the 13,000 that they drew that day. Yep. That's a big crowd. It's a big crowd, brother. And we're going to see some wild matches when it comes to this show. What do you what do you what do you know about all Japan? They're out. Um, all all Japan um is one of the they're like uh, I would say all Japan is like the W. I want to say they're the WCW of Japan. Yeah, they're like um they're probably not as oh, well, over the years maybe this has been different I'm sure but. Um, they have, they're probably not as popular as new Japan. They're definitely not now, but the new Japan's probably always been a little bit more popular than all Japan, but all Japan had some really good, um, really good matches. And it was a lot of people say that it was a better place to work than, than new Japan. Like they paid better and they respected people more. Um, it was also, um, it was also probably one of the first like territories that was like one of the hugest wrestling promotions first time. So what I remember a little bit about all Japan as well, you know, like you're saying that obviously new Japan right now is like a lot stronger, but back probably around this era and then in the seventies, all Japan was known has like the workers territory. Like you would get, you would get a lot of your like very solid, workers or very solid wrestlers like came from all japan and this is this is yeah. basically the promotion where the hard-hitting style kind of started in pro wrestling you know because you know for a while we had the american style around this time was more like you know you get like your, your mat based wrestlers you know you get a, like you get mm-hmm. the brothers here and there you know what i mean but you would get most of the, like, you know, Bob Backlands and stuff, you know, they go out there and Matt wrestling you and stuff, you know, drop toe holds and shit like that. But it, in, in, in my recollection, like, New Japan kind of started that, like, that strong style, you know, like that hard-hitting, fighting spirit style of wrestling. And obviously, you know, the big opponent was that was um, Anoki. And, of course... Um, all Japan, I think it's Big Baba, right? Wasn't Big Baba all Japan? Giant Baba, yeah. Giant so Baba, basically, yeah. all all Japan. So before, um, so this is actually kind of newer information for me that I've learned in the last few years because I was under the impression that Antonio Inoki brought wrestling to Japan, but that's definitely not true. Um, you know, like I like you know he I was under the impression that him and Giant Baba created Japanese pro wrestling, but there was definitely pro wrestling there beforehand. Um, but basically, they used to have this place called um, the Japanese Pro Wrestling Association. Was I think was what it was called. That that was Ricky Dozan's company yeah. um, that ran in like the '60s, and um, it started. So I guess like Giant Baba, who was like just a really tall. He's like the Andre uh, the Giant of Japan, I guess you could say. He's like a huge, giant, tall person, um, and he he worked for that for Ricky. And um, so did Antonio Inoki, who I guess you could say is like the Ric Flair of Japan. And um, he, they both split off and started their own companies. Which one thing I find really odd about this 
is that this show happened in October of 1981. But from my research, All Japan Pro Wrestling started in October of 1972. So it wouldn't be quite 10 years unless I'm counting that wrong somehow. Um, yeah, because this is like their, their basically their anniversary show is like the WrestleMania. It would, it, it would be like their 10th year. So yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, and, and that started in October of 72, and New Japan started in February of 72. So they both started the same year. But yeah, Giant Baba was like, um, he definitely from, well, I mean, I was obviously wasn't there, but from what I understand from hearing like Abdul the Butcher and people like that talk about it, all Japan was a better place to work than New Japan. Yeah. Um, you would get over in All Japan, whereas in New Japan, you would just go and he would pay you, but you would just job to whoever he wanted, whoever Antonio Inoki wanted to put on top, which was usually Inoki. Yeah. Um, but um, a lot of a lot of great people have worked for All Japan. Uh, Bart Gunn, um, St- uh, Stan, uh, Stan Hansen. Of all people, you said uh, Bart Gunn? <laughs> he's somebody that just came to my of mind. all the people you can think about that work for fucking all japan we get bart gunn the guy who got is it the same bart gunn that got knocked out by butterbean yeah okay I yeah got you. it's the same guy i mean you all know? right i see how i see how ridiculous that sounds now i don't know he just came to my mind that i know that bart gunn used to work there and turn another name of all into people you work there <laughs> I was yeah, like, before I said Stan Hansen, I said Bart Gunn. <laughs> Bro, Bart, I haven't heard that name in forever. Bart Gunn, of all people. This fucking guy. Oh, this is fucking great. Oh, well, this is oh. this is how you know that we don't um we don't rehearse the show at all. Okay, brother, you gotta do that shit live. We're live. All right. You gotta do it live. We're live, brother. But uh, yeah, Bart Gunn. So Bart Gunn, uh, I didn't even say Billy Gunn, like Bart Gunn. You know, right? <laughs> uh, Bart, Bart Gunn was better than uh, he sounds. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they had a lot of great uh, Gary Albright. A lot of great people worked there. Yeah. Um, this show but, was back uh, though. But this show was great. Yeah, this show would have been amazing to see. Let's get back on topic here. What what should, this the show? Uh, so just want to go through like we'll we want to start like halfway through the card yeah. to hear the big stuff. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah, do the yeah. big so matches. Basically. Basically, after the undercard, um, the first thing that I saw that was really interesting is you have Jimmy Snuka, who pinned Prince Tonga, and Prince Tonga is Haku. I guess he was like, you know, so that would have been that would have been a weird match because you've got this like high flyer versus this brawler. Yeah. Well, I mean, Um, which I think it would be all right. It would have been good. Yes. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. It is kind of a weird match, but you know. I think this is definitely a young Haku during this time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I could say, you know, I, the thing about Jimmy Snuka, you know, he was like a high flyer, but he's not like a high flyer you would see nowadays. You know what I mean? He's more of like a grounded true, high flyer. True. You know, he just had a couple of high flying moves, like well, splash yeah. and I mean, stuff like but, that. So. Well, right, but for his time, I mean, that's yeah. what high flying was. In 1981, you know, like the, like the high flying wrestling came from Mexico mostly, so... You know, those guys were probably doing it then, but like, you know, a high flyer meant that you climbed to the top of the, you know, turnbuckle and jumped off. Yes. Basically in 1981. Um, but I mean, that would have been pretty good. Um, then the next match I find a little odd. Yes. So, as well. <laughs> so the next match I have is Ashura Hara and Janichiro Chinru versus and Terry Funk. 
who defeated Dominic DiNucci, yes. Harley Race, and Mr. X. Yes. So I didn't do re- enough research to find out who Mr. X was. I'm assuming he was a Japanese wrestler under a mask. Um, yes. But that that just seems odd. <laughs> like you have Harley Race and Dominic DiNucci on the same team with some random person. I think just I, I don't know if I've ever seen a Terry Funk versus Harley Race match. I know. Like that would that's actually pretty interesting. You know, you know, this, obviously Terry yeah. Funk was huge in Japan. So this guy, he, you know, I mean, he he been he's pretty much been to every Japanese promotion. Like, you know, of course later on in his career during the 90s, he was doing all that deathmatch stuff. But uh, yeah, he definitely a, had a big career when he came in Japan. He was definitely a uh, a good foreigner for them. But yeah, that's an interesting yeah. like one. I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure they've had matches before. It just the the actual pairing is just pretty interesting because they're both, you know, Terry Funk and then Harley Race. You know, to me, they are like like you know super heels. You know what I mean? Right. So, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting and, and, one. And it kind of the to me this looks like one of those matches where they had like you know they had hired Terry and they'd hired Dominic Danucci and Harley Race. And you're like, okay, what are we going to do with this? Um, let's put them in a six-man tag. That's kind of what this looked like. Let's like give them kinda, a paycheck, to me, man. it looks like they, yeah, yeah. Let's just put them all together because we, we're paying them all anyway. So let's put them all in a match that way. Yeah. Um. So the next one was for the uh, IWA Heavyweight Championship, in which your IWA Heavyweight Champion Mil Mascaras, the legendary uh, Mexican uh, luchador. Yes. And mighty Inoue. Like, I cannot say that. He, this guy has to be Samoan. I'm not sure who mighty he Inoue, is. Yeah. Like, but, but this guy, ha- this, this guy, I'm not familiar with him really, but um, that, that sounds Samoan. So it's like Mil Mascaris versus a Samoan sounds fantastic to me, though. Yeah, it's very interesting. So, you know, a lot of promotions, especially in Japan, uh, did this at the time where they would bring other promotions with them. So you know Japan, oh, sure. Japan. Even nowadays, they still have a lot of connection with a lot of um, Mexican wrestling. Um, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, promotions, kind of like how um, New Japan and um, oh, what's that one called? They're, they're with right now. Um, uh, it's not. It's not uh, AAA. It's the other one. The other big one. CMLL. C- CMLL. Yes. Like they have, like they've been, you know, they've always go back and forth and exchange talent because something that um, wrestling in Japan does that's a little different than the states, kind of in a way, is they'll they'll what they'll do is for a lot of their new wrestlers they'll send them on um, what do they call them excursions or something to go to like excursions yes yeah they send them over to Mexico send them over to Ireland send them over to the states and get a little get a little polishing. On there, yeah, learn, learn a couple which, of different styles, and then come back over here, big big star. Which so, is always cool because it's always cool to see uh, Japanese wrestlers on uh, on excursion. Yes. Um, did you ever see uh, Jay White when yes. he was on ex- excursion with uh, Ring of Honor? Yeah, that's how I knew like about Jay White. Super face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I knew about Jay White is because they sent him to Ring of Honor to do when they were doing yeah. his training, which is I thought that was yeah, always was, fun. Yeah, and like he was this super face, like he was a yeah. super good guy. Like a superhero almost, wearing all of his his whole white New Zealand stuff, and yeah. like he'd come out, and then he finally came off excursion and debuted in New Japan, and he was like this super heel, and I'm like, what happened? Like, how did they? How did yeah. this change? Like, he should have been like, 
Well, I thought he was going to be the biggest good guy in the world, and then they well, turned him into this huge heel. We all have to cool remember. Still, we all have to remember, though, that sometimes this shit don't work. <laughs> okay? Like, well, fucking uh, New Japan, they sent Okada the TNA. <laughs> all right? They had he this did guy. that Kato gimmick, right? Yeah. Yeah, he did like some like, weird... He was like, uh, he was like yeah. He was like uh, brute, like uh, Kato from the Green Hornet. Well, he wore, didn't he wear a mask and like... Uh, Kind of that's the kind of thing he did for a while. Yeah, and like I mean, they just made him to be the most stereotypical, you know, wrestler known to man in TNA. Just nothing. And then this guy comes in New Japan's like the biggest star. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, and Sonata was the same way. Sonata, like, they, yeah. like Sonata did a little bit better in yeah, TNA, he but he yeah. was still kind of a joke. Yeah, um, but he did do a lot now better. He's a huge star. Yeah. yeah he's, and he's a he's the uh, New Japan World Champion right now, I believe. Yeah. Right? Unless so, that changed. So um, it's really cool, like how like. You know, for years and years and years, um, Japan, they always brought people from like different countries to go on their big shows, which I always like that. Like every time, like AEW kind of does that too. We're like, hey, we're, you know, because they're going to go to that Wembley Stadium. So it's not like, you know, how the WWF is. Okay, we're going to go to this big stadium, but we're only going to have our contracted wrestlers on there. You know oh, what no. I mean? It's all going to be our stuff, our stuff only, which, you know, they, you know, they're the biggest wrestling company. They can do that. But I do yeah. like how these other promotions, like a big wrestling promotion who having a big show, they'll bring on other promotions to either do a match or do like a special appearance because it makes it feel a little more, to me, it makes it feel a little bit more worldwide when you do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, AEW has got to bring other people in because they've got to put butts in seats for the stadium show. Yeah. I mean, this will be the biggest show they've ever done. I mean, this is like, I mean, think Wembley Stadium holds like 70 or 80,000 people. Yeah. So, you know, they've got to try and if they can sell that out, that would be. Yeah, they're doing a good job so far. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, the course, supposedly it's still 65,000 seats already. Yeah. Um, With no card. Yeah. And you know the um, I think a lot of tough. people, though. Yeah. I think a lot of people are assuming that uh, CM Punk's going to be on the card, but we'll see. They probably um, will be. But I'm talking about like, I'm, I think they're going to have some New Japan matches on there. I think they'll have some yeah. people from AAA. They might have some talent from TNA. You know, they, they, yeah. They'll, supposedly they'll mix up the card, which I, I like that. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Supposedly, Will Ospreay's already been. T- uh, well, I mean, how could you not? You know what I mean? Like, he's right, already been course. in AEW. Exactly. I mean, like that's just a given. And he's British, and he's super popular, and he's about to start a feud with uh, Kenny Omega. I think. Although the newest episodes of. Uh, well, he's been in a few Kenny Omega technically, but I th- but the newest episodes of AEW make me wonder if maybe that's not going to happen now. I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. The next uh, match anyway, is- back to this card. Yeah, the next match looks <laughs> wild, bro. Yeah, Bruiser Brody versus Dory Funk, who went so Brody beat Dory Funk Jr. by DQ yes. and won the title. Yeah, because you know the NWA International title in Japan, brother. <laughs> if you get disqualified, you, you still win the belt. Right. All right. But I'm wondering how... So, okay, I I know this sounds stupid, but I was wondering how this DQ happened because both of these guys are people that would get disqualified, but they're like the most... Two, these two guys are two of the most hardcore, brawling... Wait, hold on. I don't know about that. Dory throwing guys... I think so. I think Dory Funk is a huge brawler. I thought he was more like a mat wrestler, dude. Like Terry mm-hmm. Funk was the brawler. Well, okay. I think all those Funks were brawlers, but I mean, um, like, I'm not saying but, uh, I'm not saying but, yeah. Dory Funk couldn't brawl. 
I'm just saying right. when I okay. seen him and stuff, he was more like a like a like more like a, a traditional mat wrestler type of guy. You know, great wrestler. You know, got the cowboy gimmick going on. It just you know, I I think, you know, so Bruiser Boy, when we usually think about him, you know, we think about yeah. this guy this guy just he's kinda like a... You know, it's kind of like a Dean, like a like a John Moxie. He just runs out there, and just wants to get bleeding all the time. You know, just like yeah, busts out there right. in the crowd and stuff. That's what he mostly does. But you know, I think he does have Bruiser Bro. He does have some pretty good traditional wrestling matches that he does. Absolutely, absolutely. I just think that would be yes. a very interesting it, it, match a, to see those two yes. go at it. Yeah, that would be that would be an interesting match. And then uh, then um, uh, Bruiser won the uh, NWA International Title. Then next up, this would have been pretty cool too. Um, NWA World Champion Ric Flair beat Jumbo Saruta. Um, I think that would have been pretty awesome. Um, you know, you got Ric Flair in Japan defending the uh, uh, NWA World Title, and then you got him going up against. You know, another amazing Japanese wrestler that you really don't talk about a lot and Jumbo Saruta. Um, that would have been a really good that could have been everything. You know, it could have been a brawling match, it could have been a technical match. It's hard to say hard what, what that was like. So I'm pretty um, sure yes. this is the match where Ric Flair or like this was because you know, when Ric Flair was inter- introducing Sting. No, no, no. It, it was it was Ric Flair. He was introducing um uh, uh the great Muda. To the to the Hall of Fame. Did you see that this year with Ric Flair? When no, he was, I, uh, I haven't watched the Hall of Fame in years. So Ric Flair, I watched this part of it. So Ric Flair was like introducing uh, um, uh, Mudo to the WWF Hall of Fame, and this guy was just going off. He's like, "Bro, I've been mm. to Japan. These guys are crazy down there." That's what you're saying. These are the most hard hitting guys known to man. These kicks and stuff. I think he was talking about this guy, this this man, Jumbo Sharuda. Whipping his ass mm-hmm. a bunch of times, like he's like it was like a hard hitting match and everything. These guys are tough and everything. It's like, I, you know, I've been in the ring with these guys going tough. So you know, it's, Ric Flair was like that man. He would go everywhere, but I think he really enjoyed Japan just because of the um, the tough ath- athletics that the uh, that the matches brought out out of him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, Saruta was just a, an incredible wrestler, and seeing him versus Ric Flair. Which I'm sure Ric Flair probably faced through a bunch of times, but um, that would have been an absolute. That I mean, that would that should have been your main event. That wasn't even the end of the show. No, I mean that wasn't even the end of the show. Um, and then you had after that you had another match, um, which I think this match would not have been as good in my opinion. But then your main event of the match or the night was Giant Baba and Bruno Sammartino, who fought Tiger Jet Singh. Mm-hmm. And Ueda to a double count out. Yeah. Very weird match. I mean, the only reason I could yeah. think that this is on last is because we have two of the biggest stars in Japan and America all in like the, the same main event, you know. So we talked about Giant Baba, you know, being huge in Japan. You know, he's probably like the mate. He's kind of like, you know, the, the Hulk Hogan around here right now. More, you know, close to that level of star. Maybe I, I think Anoki was still a little bit higher. But he's like, you know, the yeah. biggest guy in the promotion. And, of course, we're bringing in Bruno Sammartino, who was a legendary figure in pro wrestling, definitely during the 70s around New York. So we got, you know, these yeah. two guys teaming up. So that's probably, the, it's just the star power. It looks like that Yeah, to me. and it was, it was Umansuke Ueda, not the, there's two Uedas that were wrestling at this time. So I should, I should 
clarify for the people out there. It was Umansuke and not the other one. Yes. But uh, Umansuke, um, I mean, he was um, his ring name from um, something that you would probably be familiar with being a, being a uh, um, Kenshin fan. But he was inspired by so there was uh, Umansuke Ueda was a member of the Shinsengumi, who was a sem- was a samurai group in the Middle Ages or whenever that happened in Japan. And and uh, his his birth name is Hiroshi Ueda, but he took the Umansuke because of the uh, famous uh, Shinsengumi member. Oh wow, that's that's, I that's interesting. Find that interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's weird. It's weird that I weird that I know that. Hey man, um, that's why we like. That's I why I like this show, brother. We gave you all the random <laughs> facts you don't know about. I had to look up on YouTube right. how to put up a bird feeder yesterday, but I know that you managed yeah. to get you way to. I mean, we was don't influenced by Shinsengumi yeah. Samurai. In this show, we don't only talk about you know <laughs> fancy lines and you know what I mean yeah. naked girls in the shower. No, brother, we go into. We the do deep talk details. about that a lot, though. Yes. Yeah, we we always do good. We we do uh, we never shy away from the naked girls in the shower. Yes, but uh, but yeah, so that would have been um, oh that also that match ended by uh, uh, double countout. Bro, nobody can get pinned in fucking eighties <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like they're just like nah. Well, who are you nah. gonna pin in this? Like Bruno's not gonna get pinned. Baba's not gonna get pinned. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing you know, you know the other two guys somehow Tiger Jet Singh was like you know he's not. At this time, he was a really famous wrestler, so he's probably not going to get pinned. Yeah, and then you know, so that leaves Ueda, and so they're just like, "Well, we'll just do a double countout. We'll just fight in the crowd until it ends." Yeah. Now they do twenty counts too, or they- yeah, they do twenty counts. Uh-huh. I don't know if they did then. They do twenty counts now. Nobody can get pinned, brother. But you know, nope. I get it. It is weird. It is crazy. It is like it's kind of weird nowadays. Or like if that finish happened now with a huge show like that, people are like, "What the fuck? That ain't no finish." Like, you know what I mean? Well, they would be booing. Like they, anytime yeah. there's a count out, or not a count out. Well, they do with a count out too. But anytime there's like a double disqualification in a main event, they're just like booing. Yeah. Whereas back then, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't let yourself get pinned. You know, like you couldn't, you couldn't get pinned because if you did, that was like the end of your stardom really yeah yeah it just it you know I mean, like that, this yeah, one that basically made you're leaving the territory yeah exactly yeah pretty much like yeah if you got pinned or beat in a very clean fashion like you're right you're like that's like pretty much it's like you're on your way out to the, uh, to the other territory yeah, because yeah. It, just the way yeah. the business style was in the day back in the day you know it was like we, we were saying before it's more like a arena business so in order yeah. to get people to come back to see your shows you know, you can't just do one and done feuds. You got to keep the shit going. You know what I mean? You got to right, keep you right. got to keep the the main feud at least going on for a couple months. You know what I mean? Without doing right. clean finishes back and forth. So yeah, and I was gonna say that 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 applies if you're a top guy. Obviously, if you're an undercard wrestler, then you get pinned. Oh yeah, um, by but, a suplex. But yeah, if you're if by uh, suplex or a or a schoolboy or leg drop, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that leg drop, that Hogan leg drop was devastating. That devastating, man. brother. Um, that die of doom. But, uh, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, but the uh, but yeah, if you were a top guy, like you, you really didn't get pinned that often. Um, I think Hogan only got pinned. I looked this up like twenty five times in his whole career. So some right. insanely small amount of times that he got he lost he lost clean in a singles match 
like 25 times. Exactly. Because that doesn't Over work for me, brother. No, nah, it doesn't work for me, brother. But anyway, sounds like a good show, though. You know, we don't talk a whole lot about uh, Japan wrestling on here. But, you know, th- this is a very good era for Japan wrestling. You know, I think the 70s was a little bit more hard-hitting for Japan. But the 80s is uh, definitely, that'd be fun. A lot of tours that happen over there. But let's get into what we're going to be listening to on our way to go see The Prowler. I can see this one being in theaters. Um, and we don't, I don't think we've ever talked about this band before. But they are a very popular punk rock band. Probably like one of the most like popular punk rock bands of all time, I would say. And mm-hmm. that is one you. that is one Black Flag. Mm-hmm. And they released their single at this time. The album wasn't out yet. The album comes out around December, around this year. But they released a signal a signal for the album. Uh, and this thing is gonna be Louie Lou. Alright. It came out in October. And it's Louie Lou and Damaged. So can you tell us a little bit about the black flag there, Allison? Um, yeah. So Black Flag is probably I mean, definitely one of the most important hardcore punk bands of all time. Um, you know, they they took that kind of Ramon sound, you know, the the more um I don't know what you call it. I guess sing along type Ramones, Ramones music, but then they they just made everything faster. Like they were one of the first fast bands. Like they were they were really fast, but they could also play. So it's not like they, um, you know, they had you know all those punk bands at that time. Even when they talk about it, they talk about like, we couldn't play our instruments. Like Greg Ginn could play an instrument. Um, you know, Chuck Dukowski could write songs. Like he wrote a lot of really good songs. Um, this was actually when this came out, this was actually kind of near the end of black flag of my black flag fandom. Like I like black flag up until damaged, which is their first album. Yeah. Their singles are much better. And I say that because damaged is a good record, but it was the one where they got Henry Rollins to be their singer. Yeah. Um, so they made a change in singers because their old singer, Des Cadena, had some kind of throat issue and he felt like he wasn't going to be able to sing anymore. So he stayed in the band, but he just played guitar. Um, and then they got Henry Rollins to, to be their singer, but on the Louis Louie single, I'm, pr- I'm not sure actually. I, I, so they were releasing singles in 1981 that Des sang on, but then they started recording music, the same songs again with, um, Henry Rollins singing. And I'm pretty sure I'm having to take this off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that Des Cadena sang on Louie Louis. So that would have been one of their last, like, um, you know, singles that he actually sang on before they started releasing, you know, the damaged singles, um, and the damaged album with Henry Rollins. Singing. Henry Rollins is the singer. Um, damaged is good. My war is good. After that kind of black flag just kind of turned into like, something completely different like all bands evolve but like he just turned it i just didn't really care for it anymore but like this was like right on the edge of like when black flag was gonna get huge you know they were they were truly big like they were playing in front of thousands of people they were so big at this time um and they were like right on the edge of being like the you know the biggest punk band in the world 
probably. Um, and then they had to change singers. So it's like a real pivotal time for them. Um, Louis Louis is not like it's a cover of a of a 1960s song. Um, so it's not like, you know, the greatest. It's not an original and it's not like, you know, the song I would have picked to, uh, you know, uh, showcase Black Flag. But it is good and it's a good little fun song. Um, do you have any history with Black Flag at all? Did you ever listen to them? So I was never like the biggest like punk fan. <laughs> I know that might right. be a little, little, little hard out there for some of our punkers. Um, but I did like Henry Rollins a lot. Like, I was actually a huge fan of Henry Rollins. Um, I just like his whole presence, and I actually liked a lot of yes. his singing. So I did listen to a couple Black Flags with Henry Rollins being the lead singer. Um, and, of course, you know, I did... I, Henry Rollins is a great storyteller. Like, I went to a yes. couple of his one-man shows, and, I mean, they were great. Like, just the way he explains stories, and he can he can he could do that very well on there. He's um, incredible, yes. And he's you know not, I saw a couple of movies they was in still. Like I said, I was a big fan of him. So like, you know, when it comes to Black I knew the band, but I never did a lot of like research. I would say the only punk band I probably ever truly listened to was probably the Dead Kennedys, and that is like almost it. <laughs> like I never yeah, really I mean, like got myself into like that style of like music. I used to be a huge punk fan. Because punk was like before death metal, punk was like my music. You know what I mean? Like when I was like, you know, like 1987, when I was like a little kid, like a kid, like punk rock was like that. That spoke to me. And then I discovered like not too long after that, man, it's like Sepultura and a thrash metal and death metal. Um, well, I was listening to like thrash metal around the same time, but um, I used to like black uh, black flag bands. Like I still like black flag a lot, bands like that, but. I, I was into punk for a long time, but then to me, like I kind of got out of it because it kind of became all the same thing. Like it, like it just sounds all the same. Like, like every punk record that comes out now to me, sounds ex almost exactly the same as every other punk record. And it, and then you had pop punk and you had all this shit that kind of ruined it for yeah. me. But, um, but yeah, I definitely, after this, I definitely kind of started going into like a more, heavier direction which got you know which i always listen to metal anyway but it kind of i kind of got gra gravitated more toward metal than i did punk um although i would still go to a lot of punk shows and i would still listen to punk all the way up until like you know i don't know 20 years ago probably um but um you know i still like some i liked some bands up into the 90s like rancid i thought was a really good band for you know for for the time um but you were talking about Henry Rollins though, and I would recommend if it's I don't know if it's on Spotify or if you can stream it, but like talking about Henry Rollins storytelling, um, he did this show or the he has a I think it's released it on CD, but you could probably stream it. It's called Eric the Pilot, and it's an hour long. It's one story that he tells for an hour, and yeah. it sounds like it would take forever to get through that, but it's it's like it's so funny and it's so interesting for him to tell the story about trying to travel. Um, from one sh from one city to another to make this show with Eric the pilot, and it's it's really funny and it's a really good story. So if anybody out there wanted to like see what Henry Rollins' spoken word is like, I would recommend that one. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll uh, post that on the Facebook. Everybody, check it all out. Henry Eric Rollins. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, like most of the time when I think of punk music and that stuff, you know, I think of the Misfits, obviously. And, oh yeah, I love and I and I think of like Henry Rollins. That's like kind of like where my two like 
you know, when I think of punk music and stuff, I'm, you know, Gigi Allen too, when it comes to like the raw, the rawness, you know, I will yeah, give, yeah. I, I will give punk music something like their concerts are definitely like pretty wild. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's where yeah. you, you let off your aggression. Like that's where like, you know, you, it just, it, it's like a lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 you know, I'm not hating on it at all. I just say I was never like a big in that particular style of music. I would just, that was just not my thing, but I can respect the energy that punk music brought to the music scene. That's for sure. Yeah. Another thing to watch too, if you're interested in this era, this 1981 era of punk rock, um, the movie, uh, the decline of Western civilization, which I think is on Tubi, uh, the first one, decline of Western civilization, part one, um, it showcases, it's a little bit before this. I think it's 1980, 79 or 80, but, uh, the early black flag is in that, um, a lot of those bands from 8081 are in it. Um, to, if you want to see what punk rock was like, then um, then that's a really good thing to watch as well. Yeah, Betty, check it all out. Speaking of checking it out, let's talk a little bit about who booked this shit when it comes to the Prowler. So when I was doing some of my research, there's a couple interesting things here. Mm-hmm. So the Prowler was co-written by Glenn Lepold. And Neil Barbara, son of Joseph Barbara. So yep. when I was doing you some, create Scooby Doo. Exactly. <laughs> so we see where the the plot came from. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, no shit. Okay, we we were thinking that the killer was gonna, you know, like the Scooby Doo. <laughs> I'm gonna unmask. It's you kids. I right, and fucking <laughs> the people who wrote fucking Scooby Doo wrote this shit. I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding well, me? The, the son of the guy. The son of the guy, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, no shit. I was like, that's crazy. I could, <laughs> I could just see him like going to his dad. He's like, yeah, I'm writing this movie called The Prowler, yeah. and I'm trying to figure out a way for it to end. It's like, well, come <laughs> so, on, well, Here's son. what you do. Here's what you do, son. Here's what you do. <laughs> you have it on mass, and you blame it on the kids. <laughs> All right? That's what you do. All right? And then you have him, re- 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 uh, and then you have him tell the whole plot of why you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes bro fantastic. that's awesome i love that that's that was like that was some good uh piece of business right there <laughs> so a couple things uh initially so we have uh the director though was joseph zito he read the yeah. screenplay and was drawn to its misty quality it had mm-hmm. this strange dreamlike mode in it it was trying to be real it was trying to be surreal in a way which i can kind of see that yeah, some parts of it. Zito, Joseph Zito is a hell of a movie maker, though. He's made some really, really good movies, um, other than this as well. Yes. Um, he made uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Oh, nice. Um, he, he directed uh, Missing in Action, the first one, the good Missing in Action. Um, and he directed uh, Invasion USA with Chuck Norris. So, some classics there, yeah. for sure. And he did The Prowler, brother. I mean, and The on. Prowler. Yeah, and The Prowler. So initially, Zito had wanted to shoot the Prowler in Avalon, California, where it is set. That's where we're. That's where our movie takes place in. But later, yeah. decided to shoot the film in Cape May, New Jersey, instead. So we're acting like we're in Avalon, California, but we're not, brother. We're in. We're in Cape May. Yeah, because anybody that's definitely been to both places knows that California definitely looks like New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, come on, duh. <laughs> but he felt like the uh, the Cape May had more of a ghost town quality to it. 
I mean, kind of. I mean, it really. I guess it kind of did. I can see that. I can see that. Um, so the film was shot over a period of six weeks, which each uh, consisted of six days, six day works. Like so, six days of the six weeks you're working, beginning mm-hmm. in October 1980, and. So there's reports saying that the budget was between 40,000 40, or 500,000. So they don't really have a like set how much it was. Zito stated that the film ultimately cost $1 million to produce. Mm. So during production, the film had the working title Graduation. So, but it also had a different title too. So it had like a couple, you know, they always, they, they do that sometimes, especially with horror movies. You know, they'll have like one like working title. Like, that's the one you would put on your little, like, uh, what do you call that thing? Like, for the edits? You know, the fucking editor. Board print. Board print, yeah. Yeah. So, they had the graduation for that, but then the the film was also being considered to be called Rosemary's Killer. Yeah. I think it's a little too on the nose. Yeah. The Prowler is actually a pretty good uh, title. I actually like that title, so. Yeah, I do, too. I think it's scary. It sounds scary. Exactly. So, that was a good yeah. little pivot that he did there. So, because the film's death sequences were so special effect in, in serious, the shocking schedule was crafted to pri- uh, prioritize the filming of them specifically. With the whole day decided to be one death scene. So, basically, what they're saying is the death scenes were all like, on those six-day work weeks, one of the f- days would be full, only we're only doing the death scenes. Which, I like that because it, take, it, it, it allows you to do a lot more detail in your death scenes. Which is, you know, a staple of horror movies is your quality of, of death scenes or your shocking scenes. And like we were saying before, I thought this movie did the death scenes very well. Like, you know, obviously we had Tom Savini on here doing the yeah. effects. And he's, he's, he's probably like one of the greatest to do it. But, oh, you know, sure. with the knife going through, um, what's his name, Chad, uh, the, the, the character's head. Um, yeah. You know, the, the shower scenes, I thought a lot of that stuff the was pretty good. in the shower, that was great. Yeah. That was great. So, um, it was Carl. Our boy Carl getting a knife Carl, in the head. Carl, Carl got the bayonet through the, through the head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I read that, I thought, I mean, I didn't think that was weird, but I was like, that just makes sense to me. Like, I was, I was thinking, how else would you do it? Like, I would think that not only would you spend, you know, you would dedicate a day for special effects, you know, for a special effects scene. But I would think you would do all those scenes at the same time. So, like, you know, you know how in the movie, like, it keeps going back to the to the bodies in the shower. Yeah. Um. I'm. Pr- I mean, I'm assuming that they shot all of that in the same day, and they just put it into the movie wherever they needed it to be, instead of trying to set up this shower scene again. You know what I mean? Yes. So yeah, I thought I thought when it comes to that, especially even the pool scene was very creative as yes, well. Yes, the pool scene was great. So a couple of things about the release, and I thought this is a little interesting as well. So initially, Avo Ambassador Pictures, who had previously released mm. the slasher Prom Night that we did at the beginning. We just talked about. That we just talked about at the beginning of this month. They expressed interest in in, uh, in releasing the Prowler. But, but I guess they didn't pick it up, so the film was ultimately distributed by independently in the United States by Sandhurst Films. So it overall ranked 135th at the U.S. box office for the year of 1981, earning less than $1 million during its theatrical run. So that's probably yeah, why we so, didn't get a sequel, brother. 
which yes that's probably why we did not get a sequel but yeah so we so i say this a lot you know and, and a lot of things i say are definitely like hyperbolic but I, but um you know i've said it a bunch of times that horror movies especially classic horror movies never uh, or or uh classic horror movies always turn a profit because they're so cheap to make um, but this is an example of where it didn't like, this is the one, one time, one of the only times I can think of where it didn't work. Um, you know, they spent by the time the movie was finished, they spent around a million dollars to make it. Now, if they spent $40,000 to make this, it definitely made a profit, but you know, it made less than a million dollars. Um, and you know, they spent around according to the director around a million dollars to ultimately, ultimately to make it. But I'm wondering if maybe this movie didn't do so well because Halloween 2 came out right behind it. And a lot of theaters yeah. probably dropped it to pick up Halloween 2. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see that, definitely. I mean, especially with the... Uh, I mean, that was Halloween 2 as well, too. With yes. the amount of success that Halloween 1 was. I mean, we mm -hmm. talked about that before, like how big of a success Halloween 2 was. You know, just because of all the buzz coming into the film. So, yeah, yeah I mean... And a lot of those... Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say a lot of those movies didn't make. Um, it's not like it is today, where you go see Guardians of the Galaxy three and it makes you know, one hundred fifty million dollars on opening night or whatever. Like movies were like, a lot of times movies would play for a very long time in a movie theater because the longer a movie plays in a movie theater, the more money the theater actually makes. Because when a movie first comes out, most of that money goes to the to the film company, and and the theater makes only really makes money off of concessions and things like that um but as it plays longer the percentage gets better and they can you know and they start making more money so like a movie like i'm trying to think of an example but like a movie like raiders of the lost ark for example that movie was not a huge hit when it first came out but and a lot of theaters got rid of it because it, it didn't do as well as they thought it was going to but theaters that kept it for a, for a long time started making a whole lot of money on it because it got popular later and then they, you know, they had a better percentage by that time. And then people just kept coming to see it. And horror movies were that way too. Like when Halloween first came out, a lot of people didn't go see it immediately, but it was like a word of mouth thing. And then you would, you would, you know, and you would start drawing people into theaters. So I feel like mo horror movies had to stay in a theater a while to do really well. And the Prowler probably just couldn't stay in theaters long enough because everybody would want Halloween too, because Halloween one was such a big hit. Oh, yeah, definitely. I could, yeah, definitely. Definitely could see that. I mean, it's kind of like a, um, we're watching this a little bit to get ready for the Halloween, too. Mm -hmm. So, a couple of things before we get into the full review. Um, speaking of the censorship that we like to talk about here and there on uh, different films, get the treatment of. So, The Prowler was released under the alternative title Rosemary's Killer. So, it wasn't mm -hmm. just a, a, it wasn't just like a, a random name that they had. It was actually released under that in Australia and Europe. And it also featured a cut that is missing almost a minute of Tom Savini's gore effects. So we talked about that a lot, where Bad. during this time, you know, a lot of European countries would cut out a lot of the gore in the films. Mm -hmm. Besides, they would keep the nudity, no problem. But boy, you got a little fucking blood in there. We got to cut that shit out quick. Well, not Europe. Well, like when, when we say that, what we mean is England would do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, not I Italian. Mean, even are like, you kidding me? Yeah, like no, Those motherfuckers are crazy. <laughs> Especially with eyeballs and shit. I'm fuck. Yeah, like eyeball explosions and shit like yeah. that. Like, yeah, the Italians were like, they don't yeah, give, give a fuck down there. It's uh -huh. like we're gonna show whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. 
Um, this is this is a little crazy. Then we'll get into it. So the German version omits all of the gore scenes. Okay, including uh, how do you even have a movie? Okay, so it has no gore scenes, and it, it doesn't right. even reveal the killer's identity. Yeah, I kind of want to see this German version. I know, to see like, how it ends. like what? Well, what, like, what happens? It just a, <laughs> remember like what? I cut some Scooby Doo shit in there or something? Like, I don't know. And apparently they re- they replaced the soundtrack with bird sounds for the daytime scenes, cricket sounds for the night scenes, and they 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 cut out Richard's score with the synthesizer music by an unedited musician. And the version goes by the the title. Well, it's in German, but it's, it, it comes out to be the Pitchfork of Death, which is also a cool title. So we're gonna have the, so you can tell me we're gonna have the Pitchfork of Death, but we're not gonna show yeah. any pitchforking of the death scenes. It, it was right, pr- no pitchforking. The only thing I can think of, it's probably like how they did it on like Friday the Thirteenth Part One, where we see we see the killer like have the pitchfork in his hand, and it looks like it's about to you know kill somebody, but we don't see the scene; we just see the after effects of what happens. Yeah. Well, even that's gore. Like I'm guessing that it would show from the killer's perspective of like him stabbing the person. Which yeah. means they would have had to cut out the entire shower scene, right? There's no way you could show that without showing, like, because Safini no, was so you good. Can. Like, you feel like the pitchfork going inside of her. Yes. So what you probably could have done is like when he opened up the shower, you could probably we would have saw his hands moving, and then we cut it, and then we, they probably just cut it to him putting the rose on her face. Oh, the psycho, like in Psycho. Yes. Yeah. So kind of like the that. ending probably ended like instead of them struggling on the floor. Like it probably just ended with her shooting him, and then that was the end of the movie. Yeah, because you could end the movie there, right? And then that would have been that would have been an ending. Um, but yeah, anyway. So, but everybody, let's get into it. Let us get into the full review of the Prowler. The Prowler. Let's do it. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home Boy. was about to begin. Roy? Come on. Come on, kid. Don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. They never found out who did it. But it had to be someone in town, someone who knew that she was called Rose. And Mark, that guy still might be around here. Oh, man, I don't believe this. You're talking about something that happened over 30 years ago. Whenever the time was right, he'd come back. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you.
after night, he waited for her. If he gets you, you wish you were dead. Okay. So we start off the movie with like a, like an old like video of, and I think they, they used to, we see these sometimes, you know, with the, with the war veterans coming home. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like the World War II war veterans coming back home on a big boat. Yeah, and the most precious cargo, it says. Yes, the most precious cargo are soldiers. And so this is... So they're basically saying, though, like, in this, like, yeah, these soldiers are coming home after a long battle and stuff, and they basically had to come back home and rebuild their lives. Yes. So they're saying a little bit that. And then we see... Um, the, all this shit looked like uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock stuff, which I kind of, like, appreciated. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. So we also have the the note being written by uh, Rosemary, which is one yeah. of our characters in this show, and she is basically like she is she is doing the 1945 version of Twitter now or 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 Instagram where she's breaking up with her boyfriend over a letter. Yeah. All right. So which what happened a lot, especially in yeah. World War Two. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure it still happens a lot, but um, but yeah, like a lot of times, like you know, you you had a girlfriend. Uh, that's why so many people like tried to hurry up and get married before they got deployed to go overseas. Yeah, is because like a lot of these people, you know, were dating. You know, they had they had girlfriends, but then like you know, they could be gone. You, you know, you don't know how long a war is going to last. So you know, they they could you know they could they, you know a lot of those guys were gone for years, but they could have been gone for years and years and years and a lot of them could never come back and that's what she says in the letter we like i don't know if you're even going to come back yeah and then like back then like if you weren't married by the time you were 30 your life was over like it's different than it is now like you know you 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 know when by the time you got to 25 people were starting to ask you know are you ever going to get married that kind of thing it was crazy back in the 40s yeah so back then people didn't want to wait for a long time to get married so that's why a lot of guys like you know, their girlfriends would break up with them in a letter. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that's, that's reality for sure. Yeah. Now, nowadays we get the long text message. So now stuff, not, not that much yeah. stuff has yeah. changed, but, mm-hmm. uh, they were be- definitely, uh, um, a little, uh, uh, little, little tough back in the forties. The so after this, after this little scene, we, we cut back. And so now we're in the Avalon Bay. It's June 28th, 1945. It's the night of the graduation dance. So we, we got prom done with. Okay. We got our we got our final exam done with. Now we're about to graduate with our dance party. And I don't mm-hmm. know if this is like still a thing, but when I graduated, there weren't no fucking dance. <laughs> like I don't I, mean, I don't really remember that, but I mean I mean I guess that was like a big deal. I guess. Time. Like the, I can get invited. Dance. They're just like, hey, get the fuck out of here. All right. Yeah. That's a nineteen eighty one thing. Yes. So so now we see like the, this is forty five right now. So we see like a two young couples and they're talking about well the girls talking about Georgie and Rosemary breaking up. So we get like a little hint of what that letter was about. And then the girl then we hear like a sound and the girl looks at the boat and this guy's all like He's all like, "Oh, don't don't worry about that piece of uh, the that big piece of like junk right there. You're way better than that that car over there." 
And she's like, oh, you're so mm. precious. I was like, damn. That's how you flirt back in the 45s? Okay. The little things I, I hear. It's just fun. It yes. fascinates me. Mm-hmm. So so now we're at this graduation party. kind of looks like something you see on Back to the Future, the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of so we have uh ben is this guy real ben miller so they were saying this guy ben miller yeah. he, he 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 died over france but he made a lot of music and that's the music that we're dedicating tonight we're playing a lot of his songs i just didn't know this ben miller, miller. what who Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller. Okay, I thought you said that. Yeah, oh, you're talking about the the yeah, no, yeah, Glenn Miller. Okay. Is who they're talking about? Is that a real Probably. story too? Let me double check that. Okay, while you do that, I'll keep going. So, okay. so now we have this guy named Todd. Okay, and so <laughs> this guy is like every new age single guy. He's he has a girl by himself saying, "Bro, this party's dead. Let's get on out of here." All right. And the, the, the party doesn't even look dead at all. There's like a, a thousand people in there. It's like, oh, it's dead in here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so, so like, uh, the, the lingo is always so funny to me of how it's like different nowadays. So, like, Todd's leaving with the girl, which we find out this girl's name is Rosemary. And mm-hmm. this guy, like, barely touches her. And the guy's like, keep your mittens off my woman. <laughs> I was like, bro, like... That's a great line. We should bring that back. Keep your, mitten, get, your get your get that mittens off my girl. <laughs> mittens. I was um, like, you know, nowadays yeah, it's like, go fuck off, asshole. Like, no, this guy's like, back in back in the forty five. If you use mittens, bro, that's fighting words. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that people look back on the forties as like a and and with rose colored glasses. I, I think the forties was pretty uh pretty hardcore too. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that that was not the kind of language they would have used oh. in the forties, but but who knows? Um, but yeah, to to follow up on that, yeah, Glenn Miller was killed in action in World War Two. So yeah, Glenn Miller and then Little Brown Jug is a Glenn Miller song. So that's who they're talking about is okay. Glenn Miller who uh, and they're celebrating the life and music of Glenn Miller. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, so Jimmy, he's the guy. So they were talking about Todd, but the Jimmy, he is the guy who's saying shit about the mittens. Yeah. Um, and the big thing is like, so he's he's uh, getting Rosemary to come out because he doesn't want this party. He basically wants to go make out with her somewhere else. And he he's basically like he's doing some um, he's doing some uh, for I call it the forty style insults <laughs> to certain people. <laughs> <laughs> with the mittens and you know my and uh, my, my favorite one is like she he, he, they're walking past like the uh i guess they have it like at this like boathouse or something like where they're doing the graduation i it was just some it was a kind of like an old like 50s or 40 looking house they were doing it in um where and, the band was playing yeah yeah where they're doing the actual graduation part so it was like a big oh, like yeah, i think yeah i think it's just like a big house like on the bay or whatever yeah so, Bay or whatever they call it. so Rosemary's like, oh, I like this place. And he was like, well, I'll buy you one. All right. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's one of those guys. I see him. <laughs> and then, and then, and then she's all like, well, you know, it's like, what's going, what's wrong? Is your daddy going to be mad that I'm taking you out? Well, by the way, my dad has more money. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you're, okay. You're one of those. I got you. He's one of those guys. So... <laughs> So now, so he like parks his like car out in a field. Mm-hmm. Okay, just a random field. 
But then it's random fields like next to a bridge. So, and uh, he asked her if she wants a slug. Do you know what a slug is? Uh, is he talking about uh, a drink? Yeah, get a drink from the bottle. Yeah. yeah. So in the forty in in nineteen forty five, brother, if you want to swing, you got you got to take a slug. All right. Yeah, you got to take a slug, man. I'm gonna take a slug right now. So we have this one girl. She's uh she's looking around for Pat. All right. And then the, the the couple, Jimmy and Rosemary, they're like walking around near this bridge and there's a bunch of ducks there. I was like, they probably just did they probably just kept the ducks there, like fuck it. Can we just keep the ducks in, brother? Like, like from Promenade, can we uh can we go watch the ducks instead? Yeah. Can't yeah. see the ducks at nighttime. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> now that was uh that was final exam. <laughs> oh, that was final exam, you're right. Yeah, yeah with yeah. our boys saying, Yeah, the ducks they, they can't see at night. You can't see at night. No. So we got to keep in the car and make out. <laughs> so our boy Jimmy, he's kind of like that guy. He's like, he's like ribbing her like, oh, she's like, oh, what are we going to do? Take a swim? And and he's all like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just ribbing you about not taking a swim. And they start kissing and stuff. So during this, then we see some combat boots and a guy with a pitchfork is like walking up. And then during all this, we see the host, which I'm not exactly sure. But was the host of the graduation party, was that supposed to be the Rosemary's dad before he got into the wheelchair or no? I did not pick up on that if that's the yes. case. But so, it could be. Cause they kept, so Rosemary's dad, was. they kept calling him Major. So I, just, I, yeah. I couldn't tell if that was the host of the guy or not yet. But anyway, so the host is getting everybody, you know, this party, get some drinks. And, of course, we're out there with uh, Jimmy and Rosemary. They're all kissing everything. Of course, she hears a noise. All right? And then he, and then this guy is just like, he's, he's trying to get some as much as he can. All right? And she's all nervous and stuff. He's like, he's like, why are you playing hard to get? Don't you remember New Year's? And she's like, well, that was different. That okay? was different. And he's like, how is, this, how is that? He's like, how is that different? Okay? <laughs> Come on now. I mean, so, he has a point, really. Yeah, and then after all this stuff, they keep kissing, and then eventually, right behind Jimmy, we see a combat dude in interesting combat gear and with a pitchfork, and he stabs the motherfuckers, both of them, dead. So do you think that they chose the outfit for the killer in this because that's just what they had? Um, like they could, they went to an army surplus store and bought all this stuff. Well, I think they were trying to do the. This is a disgruntled World War II veteran. So, well, no, right, but that's what the movie's about. But I, yeah. do you think that, um, you know, when they started writing the movie, if they were like, well, let's do this because we we have these things, we can get these things from the army surplus store. Well, what I'm guessing is because this movie actually kind of did remind me of My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Actually, the the plot line was very similar to that movie. Yes, it's in in a lot of ways, yeah, and a whole lot of ways. <laughs> so I'm guessing it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, so we have a storyline where the killer is like an army veteran. So where what can we find to make him look like a ma- masked up killer, but still have a little army stuff to him? And I guess this is what they found, right? Yeah, because right. it it half looked like. It looked like army gear and a half looked like fishing gear. Like it was like morphed together. <laughs> Alright. But but that's a plot point kinda. Yes. Exactly. Sort of. 
Kind of. <laughs> so after we see that death scene, then we get told that the movie is called The Prowler. All right. So now, now we have transformed into the same area, Avalon, California, June 28th, 1980. And this is pre-graduation yeah. day. This is where we start exactly. meeting some of At our... Least, Go ahead. Uh, I was, was going to say, at least they gave us um, a time period this time instead of it just skipping into the future and we don't know how long it's going to be like the other day. Oh, yeah. We're just... Yeah. We're just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're here now. It just went into the future and it could be 40 years. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. But at least we know now. We're in the 80s, brother, now. So we have Mark. He is our one of our main characters. He's like the uh, like the like a sheriff in practice. He's like a like a young rookie cop. He's kind of like a our deputy sheriff. Yes. Yeah. He's kind of <laughs> like our boy Leon from Resident Evil. It's the first day on the job, mm-hmm. I guess. Kind of. Yeah. 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 So he is. Uh, so this guy. I, I I don't know. This guy must have been Playboy or something because all these women were loving him. They're all winking at him, yeah. and I was like, damn. As they had four of them. I was like, okay, this guy must be the hot thing around town or something. I guess so, like with his long hair and his uh, his long the long-haired deputy sheriff. I, yeah, mean, I, did, I, thought it was, I thought that was really weird, too. But you know, I mean, he did have a nice jawline. Yeah, yeah. All right, very He's firm, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so they're putting up the sign for the, uh, for the graduation. And uh, all these girls are giving him the eyes and stuff. And then the main girl that he is flirting with is Pam. She's like our main girl of the story. Mm-hmm. And apparently she has like some sort of article she wrote. And the article, I think it had to do with the the killings back in 1945 that she was making the article about. And she wanted, wanted Mark to read the article and stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Now we see Pam, and now they're talking to the sheriff, and they're talking about how they haven't had a graduation since 1945 because of uh, Major Catherine. He was the, the dad of Rosemary, and he pretty much stopped the town from doing graduations, I guess, because he had a lot of money. Well, yeah, not graduations, graduation parties. The, yeah, parties, the yes. dance that they're having. Yeah, the yeah. dance. They, they yes. haven't had a they haven't had a party the dance since then. Yes, because you know his daughter was killed. Is killed on that night, so right. they just don't have those anymore. But I guess since he's old now, they're pushing to get the graduation to happen at that house, at that same spot that we did in forty five, and I guess his money ran out. I have no idea. They just like they said like we're just doing it. So the big thing is. At this time, there's a prowler on the loose somewhere out there who robbed a grocery store or like a convenience store, and he uh, mm-hmm. he killed somebody while he did it. Mm-hmm. So, and also during this time, the sheriff he has some time off, okay, and he's like, "I'm gonna take gonna my go time. Fishing. I'm gonna go fishing." Mm-hmm. So he is leaving uh, Mark to do all the duties there while he's on vacation and go doing his his, his fishing, okay. And they're just getting all that stuff set up. So he also calls uh, the guy Bill, um, saying like, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna go fishing. Don't bother me at all." Actually, it was Ben. He's like, "Don't, don't go bother me at all and stuff. You know, I'm gonna go out here fishing. You know, if Mark needs me, he can give me a call. But I'm gonna be mm-hmm. out." And like right away, I mean, come on, right away when this guy's <laughs> like, "I'm gonna go. F- come on now." <laughs> Who who are you feeling over yeah. here? <laughs> right, all right, right. I mean, come well, on. I mean, you do you do think? I mean, uh, 
you still do think that it could possibly be Mr. Chatham, right? Even I guess, though he's in yes. a wheelchair. Maybe, maybe Why would he kill swerve, his own right? daughter? Oh, it's a swerve? Well, no, no, I'm saying it could have been. But you're, you're right. Like, Well, no, he wouldn't kill his own daughter. But he would, he would, okay, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense, but, um, but he would be, he could be killing these people now because he doesn't want them to have a, the dance anymore. I got, yeah, I got you. I got you. Got you. So he dresses up like the killer dressed up then to kill these people. But, you know, you know, that I'm just saying that it, at this point, you're thinking it could have been him. Yes. So the next person we meet is Pat Kingsley. Okay, and he was actually at the, the 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 graduation party in 1945. So he's been around the town since then. So he's one of the original ones. And this guy like owns his own convenience store. Mm-hmm. And there's also a a clerk he works with um, called Otto, who is not all there. You know, he's like a little slower type of guy. Yeah. Otto, and Otto is awesome, though. Yes. So he is like the guy who kind of like is, uh, he kind of patrols the area, you know, kind of like a yeah. a good citizen guy, but you know, kind of yeah. So we we give the most dim witted person in town yes. a gun to have him patrol town, patrol yes. the city. <laughs> exactly. So this part that was kind of weird, and this one this didn't really go anywhere, but I felt like you could have made a sequel out of this particular scene, and I'll explain what I mean. So we see uh, the we see the sheriff. Talking mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Kingsley, and the way that they were talking, because they also see some like some of those college girls come in. One of them was Sherry, which we'll, we'll see her soon. And well, yeah, we will. Yes, Sherry, and then her friend. They were like kind of coming into the store too. The way that Sheriff and Kingsley were talking was, "Hey, you know, why don't you use, why don't you use this bait on fish this time?" Ooh, I don't know if you catch that line, but I was like, "Wait a minute." You know, me has a listener. Mm-hmm. It made me feel like they were in it together. You know what I mean? Sherry and uh, no, 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 Kingsley, Kingsley and the sheriff were in it on it together. Like they were like like the Kingsley knew what the sheriff guy was up to. Oh, I, oh God, you're right. Like um, there's a lot of hints just, in the movie I, I that he was. I didn't even think about that. You're right. You're right. There's a lot of hints in the movie that this guy was doing. Yeah. Like we'll see him later on too, when he was talking about the cemetery. Like okay, that's a good how did point. how did he know? That's actually like, a good point. So like why well, why aren't we questioning mm-hmm. this guy? Like what's going on with this guy? So yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. And also the sheriff was played by uh, Farley Granger, who uh, was in a bunch of Hitchcock movies. He was in Strangers on a Train, and he was in Rope, which is one of the my favorite Hitchcock films, by the way. There you go. Just saying. Pretty badass. He was good. Well, I didn't really do a whole lot, but he, yeah, he, he was pretty good. Yeah, he's only in two scenes, but yeah. Yeah. So this is when we have um, the sheriff leaving the store. And we can also see the auto. He's leaving the store as well, too. And the two girls start flirting a little bit with Mark because every girl loves this Mark guy. And oh, then, yeah. yeah. And then um, sheriff talks a little bit about, you know, don't be getting into trouble and stuff. And he's like, yeah, like, he's like, you know, what's going on with these girls? He's like, they're like one, they're a couple of Pam's friends. He's like, okay, well, you know, mm-hmm. I need you to uh, be focused and you know, <laughs> got to run this town. But if you need anything at all, just give me a call. All right. So then we cut back to the three girls of our story. So we have 
Lisa, who is kind of like the wild one. You always have to have a one wild girl, you know what I mean? Who plays yeah. around with the boys and everything. We have Sherry, and then we have Pam. And Lisa is like, hey, they're talking a little bit. They're getting ready for the, the graduation party. Lisa's like, hey, does anybody have any rolling papers? So this girl's ready to get fucked. <laughs> okay. I, I laughed out loud when I heard that. I like, nobody would know. That's like such a 19, like 70s, 80s thing to say. Does I anybody know. have any rolling papers? Anybody got any rolling papers? All right, for my weed that I'm about to be smoking. For my weed. All right, we got you. Great. It's awesome. So, so then we have like Sherry, she's talking about, um, she, Sherry's talking about like, hey, this could be the last time that me and Pam, like we see each other, you know, because we're about to be graduating, going on with our lives. Mm -hmm. And all Pam is worried about is, is, uh, the, the, the prowler that's out there and then Mark being okay. So she didn't even give a fuck about her friend, leaving or nothing. She's like, no, all I care and worried about is Mark. All right. Yeah. So now the girls are getting ready, and this is when this girl was basically telling Lisa that, so apparently where the, the girls' dorm's at, it's like right across the way from where the uh, major guy is at. And <laughs> apparently our boy is a creeper, major, because uh, the girl's yeah. been saying like, hey, this major guy that lives across the way, he's been staring in our window 24-7 over here. And she's like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, look at him. Then we could literally see him just staring at the, staring in the window. <laughs> just looking out the window. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Lisa's like, well, I'm going to give him a show. So she, like, flashes him and shit. And they start laughing. So then we see everybody getting ready for the, the prom and everything. We get, uh, we get scenes of the girls getting ready. We get scenes of the killer getting ready, getting his gear on. So this is when we get Sherry. She's in the shower, and Pam is about to leave. All right. And then Pam is leaving. Then she gets scared by some friends, which one of them we're going to find out his name is Paul. All right. He's the guy in like the blue looking suit. <clears throat> right. Bro, the outfits in these were like great. They weren't like super crazy, oh. but they were like, you know, that's they were pretty normal. So during this, you know, Pam, she is still worried about that criminal guy. You know, that that guy being on the loose. So she's like, she has her guard up. So now we see the first person view of the supposed killer going into the shower. Kind of like Psycho. So we're doing like a Psycho scene over here. So we see the door open. And it is going to be our boy Carl. That scares Sherry. So Carl and Sherry are like dating. All right. And mm -hmm. the big thing was Carl's like, hey, how come you didn't invite me into the shower? And she's all like, well, you can jump right in here. And he's like, hell yeah. So he goes and he locks each door. And he's about to take off his clothes and jump into that shower. The hot, steamy shower, brother. And then what happens? He gets a fucking, what do you call this thing? A baronet or something? A huge yeah, ass a fucking bayonet. Yeah. bayonet. Yeah, it's, a, it's a bayonet. It's like a big, like a yeah. blade that goes ah. on the end of a rifle, like in World War II. And then yeah. his bayonet goes through his head. Fuck right through his head. Right through the throat and everything. And, like, didn't his eyes all white out and shit? I thought that people yeah, so crazy. I, I thought that looked pretty cool, but I'm not really sure why his eyes go white like that. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm never stabbed anybody in the head, yeah. but, you know. But, it, yeah, it was for the for the effect. I mean, it looked cool. Yeah, so it was pretty wild when that happened. And the, the, this death scene was definitely a pretty uh, intense one. 
And so he takes it out and everything, and then he eventually goes to um, Sherry's, Sherry's, you know, part. She opens up the shower and everything, and he stabs her with a pitchfork in the shower. And I thought that shit was crazy too. Yeah, but it's 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 one thing I like about Tom Savini's work with special effects is that he shows everything. And it's not, I don't honestly don't think it's just to be extra gory, even though I think he likes that. Yeah. I think he does it to show you that he can do it. You know, like, like, like it, most special effects people or most directors would cut away during the special effects because at some point it's not going to look realistic anymore if you linger on it too long. But Savini's work is not like that. Like, like it'll show the entire thing. Yeah. Like in, um, a better, a good example, thing like in Friday the Thirteenth Part One, where he, uh, where uh, the killer cuts the girl's throat, instead of it just being real quick and the blood splurting out, it shows him go slowly all the way across her neck. Yeah, and that, and you, know, if you don't do that well, it's going to look like shit if you, uh, if you, if you linger on it. But Savini's work is so good that it's hard to tell where the reality ends and the special yeah. effects starts. And this, this is this way too. Like yeah. this shower where he's stabbing her in the shower, that goes on forever. I mean, it's a few seconds, but it's like, it's just like it. And you can see the pitchfork go into her. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's great. This is one of the best death scenes I've seen. In yeah. A while. Yeah, exactly. Like just the way it was, I mean, super well done. I was like really impressed with the, uh, and it looks really um, visceral and really intimate and really real because, like you know, they don't shy away from nudity in it. Yeah. Um. And and you know, it's not like they try to cover up the girl like they did in Psycho. Of course, that's a different time. But um. But you know, it it just seems real. Like it just seems like what somebody getting stabbed in a shower with a pitchfork would look like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely well done. So now we're we're at the girls. They're at the dance. They're at the they're at the, they're at the party. The graduation party. They're giving out cake and shit. So now Pam, she sees Mike's Mike. I mean, not Mike. She sees Mark. Mark has walked in. Mark. So she's like telling him, like she's like super happy that he's there and everything. She's super excited because you know she's been flirting with him for the whole fucking year, I guess. And she's trying to trying to get him to come over there, but then you know our boy Mark, he's a playboy. You know all mm-hmm. the girls love him. So before he can get over there to talk to Pam, Lisa grabs him, starts dancing with them. And you never seen a more pissed off look in a woman's face. <laughs> Holy shit. Like this girl, she's like, I thought she was going to fucking, I thought she was going to carry up the place. She looks so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. And she's all dancing everything, glaring at him the whole time, like fucking death glares, bro. Fuck. It was crazy. So they're all dancing stuff and um, she keeps looking over. Um, so now we get, uh, this is where we see Ben. So Ben's kind of like the, he's been in the town for the whole time. And he's kind of like, I guess he's like the, uh, the, the head of the town, you know, what do you call that? The mayor or something. And he's talking about like uh, how he has, he, he hasn't seen this party in 40 years and he's happy. Everybody's out here. All right. They, they like get back mm-hmm. into the spirit of graduation parties. So Sam's Stan, still upset. So now Mike goes and talks to Pamela a little bit. She's upset with him. And Lisa, like, bumps into Mark, and then Mark uh, spills punch on Pam, and then she's all pissed off. On her dress. So she's all pissed off, now she has to leave. So, and then Mark's like, oh, what the fuck? So Pam leaves, and she goes all the way back up to her room and and, uh, changes. So what we'll see in this movie, there's a lot of scenes where we see, okay, the character's walking outside, now she's inside. 
Now she's walking upstairs. Now she's inside <clears throat> the stairs. She hears the shower on. She's like, okay, I'm going to close this door. Sherry, just do your thing. And the door opens. We don't check on them, but we you can see that she's getting dressed. And then we see a cup of blood around there, but she doesn't notice anything. Okay? So there is a lot mm-hmm. of like scenes where they take their time and explain the scenarios that's happening around there. So she gets on her bluish greenish dress. She even goes back in there to get her purse. Still didn't see blood or, or figures out why the shower's on. So she gets out of there. Um, she now, when she hears that, she she she's she's out there and she hears like a little noise. And this is also too when we see the killer. He's still in the shower, and this is when he puts the rose on Sherry's face. So. And she goes and leaves. She's going downstairs right now. And then she hears a noise. And then she, we see a little shadowy figure of the killer. And then she mm-hmm. sees the killer. And now she's run, running for him. And she's doing the whole thing. She's running all, all around the doors. Trying to get everybody's attention. But every door is locked. Alright. And, and we're just basically doing like a chasing over here. And she eventually gets one of the doors opens. And runs outside. And then of all people. She gets grabbed by Major in his wheelchair. And yes, so I need you to explain this a little bit to me. Oh God, okay. I'll so, try. so she's running right, and then Major grabs her. Yeah. For no reason, and she gets away <laughs> from him, and then we don't see him for the rest of the movie. So, did did the killer kill him or something? I'm, I, or where I did guess. he go? So, so don't they? Isn't there a scene? Is it? It's either here or a little bit later in the movie where Mark, the deputy sheriff says i saw some footprints and some wheelchair tracks yeah it's coming up right here marks yeah so that may so what i'm thinking is this is supposed to um this is supposed to be the swerve this is supposed to make you think that um chatham is the killer because that's why he grabbed her even though i realized in this scene 10 seconds before he's wearing military gear um and now he isn't but that that makes me think that you're supposed to think that because that's why he grabbed her. I, I don't know. Like, this doesn't make any sense. The only reason this character even exists in this movie, the only reason he could exist in this movie is to make you think that he might be the killer. I mean, I guess. But, I mean... Because otherwise he serves no purpose. Like, he has no... There's no plot element. The only thing that he did was make them not have a, a dance for 40 years. Well, no. But you no. could have just said that... Remember, there was a plot with him. Like it, the the whole gimmick was was his daughter. Like the daughter, yeah. But he wouldn't have to be in the movie for that. You could have just mentioned him. Yeah, I guess that's true. I you mean, I, mean? Fir- I first I thought him as a character. I thought they were just gonna make him the peeping tom. But I, <laughs> but I guess but, not. Right? But why would they? But that doesn't make any sense because, like, why would okay? Because he's portrayed as a sympathetic character at first. Because, um, you know, his daughter got killed at this dance in 1945, and now that he doesn't want to have another one because she died in 1945. But then you make him like the peeping Tom that looks at the girls through the window, which makes me think that, okay, maybe this guy's the killer and maybe has like a sexual motive in reality. Like he's like, you know, um, but I mean, if, if he's not there in this movie to, to be a red herring as for as to why you would not think that the killer is the person that it obviously is then 
I don't know. I don't know what else he would be in this movie for. Like he, like he really doesn't contribute anything. Even in this scene where he grabs Pam, he's grabbing her for no reason. Yeah. I mean, you could you could say that. Well, maybe he's trying to grab Pam and calm her down because she's obviously freaking out over the situation. You know, but still, that doesn't really. None of this makes any sense. None of that makes none of thing that Chatham does in this movie makes any sense as far as the plot goes. Really. So after all this, you know, Mark he. he he runs yeah. so so uh, Pam runs into Mark and she she betrays him what happened like hey this major he's trying to grab me and there's this guy chasing me and stuff and then Mark starts looks around finds her bag and stuff and this is when he tells her that he he found the uh, the wheelchair tracks and and some footprints and stuff while she's waiting in the car right so so now they're yeah, like okay what I was gonna hold on, hold on so what I was gonna say is what that which I didn't I forgot to mention. So what that tells, says to me, so what that, that scene said to me when I saw it was that, so he's, he found footprints and he found wheelchair tracks. So that made me think that, you know, he was faking being in the wheelchair and he, he's, you know, he got, he, you could see the footprints where he walked up to the wheelchair and then he sit down and then he starts doing the wheelchair again. Yeah. So that's, that's why I said that. So it, it, it seems like maybe that could be them trying to throw you off. But yeah, anyway, I can see continue that. with the plot. So now their idea is okay. Well, let's go to the mayor's house and see, you know, what, what's going on with him. So they get into the house and they basically just walk around his house and there's nobody there for the longest time. Like they go, I mean, I feel like they went to every fucking room. And this is when Pam she eventually sees the the picture of uh, Major's daughter, you know, his daughter Rosemary. And this is when she starts to go to a bunch of photos. And then she eventually goes into a yearbook. And she can say that on this yearbook, that all has a roses by it too. You know, they found out that, you know, this is, a, this is his daughter from this yearbook. And her nickname was Rosemary. So. Yeah. So, which is more of things that made me think that, okay, maybe Chatham is the killer. But like this whole scene was set up. The reason they did that, I think, was to create suspense. Like, it's supposed to be creating suspense where they're walking in one room to another room to another room, and you never know when somebody's going to jump out. Yeah. You never know when the prowler's going to jump out. But it just doesn't really accomplish it very well. So, also, too, so this is when Pam now gives Mark her theory. She's like, hey, I just did this quick little research over here. We found out now that the girl who died in 1945 was Major's daughter, and her name was Rosemary. And there's there's a connection over here because they never found the killer Rosemary. Maybe the killer who's coming after me is from this town. And Mark, he just blows us off. Like, nah, that's not right. The is the the guy from is attacking us right now is that guy that state's looking for who robbed the convenience oh, store. Yeah. Your 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 plot line couldn't, is wrong. Couldn't possibly be uh-huh. right. Your yeah. plot line is wrong. Possibly, oh shit. Yeah, and then she gives him some shit. She's like, okay, well then go call the ser- sheriff then. And he gives her the eye, like, what the hell did you just say to me? You don't think I'm the sheriff? And then she apologizes. I was like, okay. I see how it is. So now we're back at the dance, brother. Let's lighten up the mood over here. Now our boy Paul, he's throwing up. He can't handle this graduation party, brother. Can't handle his liquor. And then, so now we're going to have Lisa. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> I, I, I knew this would be a problem. I forgot my cable was short and I got unplugged. Okay, you're good. So I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what you said. Okay. Like when you got out of... The last thing I heard was you uh, was him saying that her plot was wrong. 
Oh, um, hold on. Oh yeah, so basically she was saying like that her uh, her plot was wrong. That it wasn't yeah. it wasn't uh this mystery killer who's been here for ages. No, it's the guy in state that was the state's looking for who robbed the convenience right. store. Yes. So, you know. And then she gives him shit. She's like, Oh yeah, well how about you call the sheriff then? And he's all like, What did you say to me? <laughs> I was like, well, I ain't calling well, the sheriff. I mean No, he is the sheriff. He's yeah. the deputy sheriff and he's acting as the sheriff, uh, for better or for worse. Exactly. Um, but yeah, how are we going to also, I don't even know what they mean by that. How are they going to call the sheriff? It's not like cell phones exist. Like, I guess, does he have a, yeah. he has a fishing cottage that has a phone? That yeah, you so you didn't, call? listen, man, that's one of my favorite scenes that's coming up pretty soon is when they try to call the fucking oh. fishing house. Oh, I forgot. Oh my God. I forgot about that. They, yeah, I forgot with the about fat this. dude. This is great. Uh, yes. Yes. This, this is awesome. I forgot uh-huh. about that. You're right. You're right. You're right. So now we're back at the dance party. All right, we got our boy Paul. He's throwing up. He can't handle his liquor, brother. All right, this is too much party for him. Our girl, our girl Lisa, she is like, fuck this party. I'm going to go by the pool and tell Paul to meet me by the pool when he's done throwing up. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so You're done throwing up. Yeah. You're going to the pool. So the big thing that Mark and Pam are trying to do is they know that this maniac prowler is on the the attack and they think it's the guy who robbed the, the convenience store so mm-hmm. they know he's, he's on campus now so now they're going back to the the graduation party and they're warning the teacher um saying like hey you know th- we got this crazy prowler guy on the loose uh can you please do an announcement of keeping everybody inside this dance party so you know nobody goes out there and gets attacked so the teacher's super nervous. She gives an announcement saying, like, hey, everybody, stop the music and everything. Um, we got, like, a prowler out there. It's going to be very dangerous. We all just need you to stay inside and enjoy the, you know, everybody groans and stuff. Just stay inside, relax yourself, and it's okay. And she's, like, super nervous. So Paul is now, he's done puking, and he's looking for his girl. And the nerds, well, I call them the nerds. I think one of them, his name is Ted. Uh, they tell him that Lisa wanted to go out swimming. And this is when they talk about, um, they tell Paul and Paul tries to get out, but the teacher stops him. And then we start cutting to the scene. We see Lisa swimming in the pool. All right. She's like swimming around stuff. And the big thing is we have the two nerds. They were saying, okay, Lisa's okay because Paul's with her and you know, we're going to stay in here, but we got to find a good place to make out. All right, and Paul, his thing is that he wants to get to Lisa, and he doesn't understand why he can't leave, and he starts to make a little bit of a ruckus. Ben wants him to get fucking arrested, like right there, just for causing a little bit of a scene, and eventually Mark takes uh, Paul out of there, like he gets him out of there because he's drunk, supposedly. So during all this stuff, um, we have Lisa swing around for the longest time in the pool. And it, it starts off by her, like, getting out of the pool for a second and the power just kicking her back in. And yes. I don't and I didn't know why that was kind of funny. Like, he just I, gets I just, up and yeah, just kicks her. So now she starts freaking out and everything. And eventually he comes up behind her, which is a crazy, crazy scene, grabs her in the pool. And this is when we see her, 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 uh, her throat getting cut with that, uh, with the bayonet. And you can see it all go through and everything, how the blood come out. It's very, very well done. 
So during this, um, the two nerds, they say that the, uh, the Lisa, she's out in the pool. So now the teacher is like, she's kind of worried about her. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to go look for her outside. And then this is when the two nerds, they want to go down to the basement because that is a place where they can't leave the, the, the place, but they want to go down to the basement to go make out. So they go down to the basement. We have the teacher looking for Lisa all outside the place. She can't find her at all. And she eventually gets grabbed behind these trees and then stabbed to death. So there goes the teacher. This part is a little weird. So they're going to put like Paul in the cell. But he starts like cracking jokes. And Pam just like laughs for all those jokes. Like, I'm not sure if she was supposed to be, like, serious or something, or this is, like, a miscut or something. But she it looks like she was, like, going off the script and laughing. Because the next scene we see, she's, like, super serious. But this right. scene, she's, like, laughing yeah. at all his, like, jokes. It looks like she's, like, smirking and stuff. Yeah, I thought that was really odd. Like, like it was almost like it was shot, and then, like, they changed, they changed, like, something in the script. Like, they changed, like, the tone of it, and yeah. then they shot this other scene, and it's, like... It, it's kind of jarring to go from like this one scene where she's like kind of like laughing and joking around into the scene where she's like super serious again. Yeah. So we're having uh, Ted and his girl, the nerds, make out in the basement. And we can see the prowler, the army guy, walking around. And the girl hears something. And our boy's like, oh, it's just a wind. And she's like, what's well, a fucking basement? How's there wind? No, no wind in the basement. Yeah. And then we, that's it. That's we just cut, and that's it. So then we have Pam checking on um the, the we have Pam and Mark. They're like checking on uh, uh Paul a little bit on there. He's making some weird jokes. So we see Paul's all locked up in a little cell. All right, and now so now we have a, a, a knock at the door, and it's our boy Kingsley. And now here, this is what he's saying, and he has like a weird look on his face. He's like, "Hey, you know, Sheriff, what are you, what are you doing around this town? Like, what's going on?" He's like, "Well, what what's happening now?" He's like, "I got a lot of stuff in my mind." He's like, "Well, you got these kids around the cemetery messing with the cemetery. They opened it and stuff, and they kept going back and forth for the longest time." He's like, "King's like, just go check out the cemetery because I saw some kids messing around over here." All right, and like I just don't appreciate that messing around my town like this. So, and then that's the last time we see the guy, which is weird because I thought he would be like part of the plot. You know what I mean? Like part of the, uh, you know, part of the, yeah. the killer's handy man. Because it's it's just very convenient that he knew to go look in the cemetery, which one of our plot stuff happens from. Right. So there's two things that could have been in that, I think. One could have been that maybe that was a plot line that they cut out to make it 90 minutes. Or that could have been like the way for them to get us to the cemetery to find out this next piece of information that we need. Yeah. And then, you know, Pam did question why he was there. So so to me, like, I think I think what the movie was also trying to do was to, to let us believe that maybe Kingsley, he was the killer. You know, like, they were trying to, like, True. make you believe that certain people were the killer and make us forget about the sheriff. That's something I could think of. Even though I, I fucking knew it was the sheriff the whole time. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. So, so the kid, so at first they were going to go, uh, Mark and Pam, they were going to go back to Major's house, but they're like, no, let's check out the cemetery. So they go to the cemetery together, 
And Mark looks around the cemetery, looks all around there, and he finally finds a grave that's open. And then uh, we see Pam in the car. She's just waiting there. And then we see a, an old figure face come up near her. And that face is actually Otto. And she, the Otto girl, the Otto guy scares Pam. And Pam comes back to uh, Mark and says that there's a creepy guy looking around for me and stuff. They go back. They don't see him. So they go back to the grave. They eventually open up the open grave and they see the dead Lisa in the grave. And, of course, this grave was supposed to be the grave for Rosemary. So we know a couple of things is going on. <clears throat> so during this, this is when they go back to the, uh, to the sheriff's office. And Mark needs to get a hold of the sheriff now. So the sheriff is in a fishing cabin. Mm-hmm. And the only way, you know, back in the 80s, you got you a landline call his ass. And talk to yeah. somebody, then they have to like transfer you to the room. But the guy that they got on there, this guy was like lazy. So the guy Mark calls up and says, Hey, I need to speak to the sheriff. And he's like, Okay, well, you know, I just got here an hour ago. So uh let me let me go look it up what room he's in. He's like, Man, I got no time for this stuff. You know, he's in room cabin this. He's like, this is the other guy. He's like, Okay, well, let me go get him then. <laughs> All right. Puts down the phone and he pretends to walk over there. And this scene takes like forever. So this scene like takes like forever. Like he literally puts the phone down and he starts playing cards and stuff. And like we're like literally waiting while he's while the other guy's on the line. <laughs> like this is, this is weird. And it's he, like a, yeah, it's like in real time almost. Yeah, yeah, real time. Yeah. And he comes back saying, "Hey, I couldn't get a hold of anybody. He wasn't there at his cabin. He may, may maybe he's doing some night fishing at a well, I don't even know." He's like, okay, well, you can leave a note. He's like, okay, I'll leave a note. And they write down a little note, sure. and he just throws the note away. <laughs> <laughs> so after this, you know, Mark's saying, like, hey, I couldn't get a hold of the sheriff, so I'm going to call the state now. And then uh, Pam goes, checks on Paul. Paul's still in the cell. Pam comes back. He's like, hey, did you talk to the state? He's like, yeah, I talked to him. They're going to be here in 30 minutes. Oh, and by the way, they already captured the store robber guy. So they're like, oh, shit. Okay, so this is... Pam's theory was right. It's somebody local in the town doing all those murders. So now their big plan is to go back to the major's house. So so now Mark and uh, Pam, they decide to go back to major's house. And at first, Mark doesn't want to take Pam there. He wants her to wait at the, uh, the graduation hall with all the others. But then Pam uses her womenly powers to get what she wants. And she eventually goes to the house. Mm-hmm. Those good old womenly powers. So now they're back in the house. They're looking all over the house. Um, you know, it's kind of like the same as last time, just looking through each room, seeing what's happening. Um, eventually the lights go out, and Mark gets grabbed by the killer. And he's about to get, it looks like he's about to get stabbed. And I'm mm. not really sure if he did or not, because we don't really see him. Oh, I know, no, we do see him at the end of the film. So I guess he, he didn't get stabbed. So he, he, it looks like he's about to get stabbed, but we just say the lights come back on and Pam's looking around and she sees the, uh, the book and the rose. And then she eventually sees a couple necklaces like hanging out of like the fireplace. So she goes yeah. and checks on these necklaces. And what it is, is when she eventually grabs it, it's the dead Rosemary's body falls down. And she's like freaks out. And then like she opens the door 
to get out of that room. And the killer gives her a rose and he says something. But I could not, I tried to rewind it like three times. I could not understand what the guy said. Yeah, I couldn't understand what he was saying either. I, it might have been like, hey, here's a rose. But I, I just, I just, I tried. Because the music was just too loud and it kind of like mumbled with his voice. Yeah. So now he grabs his uh, big old bayonet knife and starts chasing her around. And this is when we get a whole big chase scene. We get our Halloween chase scenes over here. Yeah. She eventually goes into a room, hides him with a bunch of sheets. He's come over there, breaking the whole room with his pitchfork now. We see a little rat come out of nowhere and like try to scare her, but it doesn't. And um, he's eventually about to get her, and then she runs out of that room with all the sheets. So she eventually like runs. She's like running, but then he finds her. And she's running to this other room and tries to lock it, but his pitchfork is like in between the door. And they're going back and forth, and eventually she like grabs the pitchfork and she breaks it off. But then he breaks into the room anyway. So then we have like a little bit of a standoff between the prowler and uh, now the prowler actually has a gun on him too. He has like a little like shotgun, and he's about to like shoot her and stuff until he gets the prowler actually gets shot by Otto. Comes out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And saves her. He's been patrolling the town the whole night though. Yeah. Like she doesn't get caught she, up with she doesn't get saved by Mark. She doesn't mm-hmm. get saved by Major. We don't know what happened to him. She gets saved by Otto of all people. Like we only saw him maybe like what, three <laughs> right. times? And then she gets saved by him. Yeah. Then they like then they look at each other all funny looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's just as surprised as we are. Yeah. But and yeah, the, like Otto comes out of nowhere. Like, why is he even in the house? Like, I mean, is he patrolling and he just heard the commotion, maybe? I guess. Like, he's there, and then the fucking Prowler gets up and shoots his ass. Mm-hmm. All right. Fucking Pam stabs him in the back with the fucking uh, pitchfork. And they start mm-hmm. fighting around with the gun. And eventually, it's not even like she unmasked him, he unmasked himself. For, yes, yes. So I thought this was also weird. Like I thought they were gonna struggle, and she was gonna pull off his mask. Yeah, and then he was gonna be like, you know, I would have got away with it too if it weren't for you, kids. Yeah, exactly. But but he pulls his own mask off for some reason to shoot. Well, maybe it's a little hot in there. Like it wasn't hot it before, hot. but you know what I mean. It got a little hot during that action. I, I'm wondering if maybe because there's like a kind of a scene where she's tugging at it, so maybe like he couldn't see. I guess you know yeah. maybe maybe it got to where he couldn't see through the mask, so yeah. he pulled it off. So he pulled it off, and oh no, surprise! It's the sheriff. Yeah. Oh, he didn't see that one coming. George. All right. Yeah, George. Yes, <laughs> he is the uh, the angry military ex lover. And then, like, and th- this actually did surprise me because I thought we were gonna get like maybe like a speech from the guy. No, <laughs> they just nope. fucking struggle. With his little gun, and she eventually blows his fucking head off. Yep, she puts like, it under his chin and just blows his head off with a shotgun. I was like, well, fuck, okay. So then then we have a scene. So now we know Mark, he's okay. And Mark and Pam are in the car, the, the police car. And Mark's like, hey, I gotta, I gotta talk this guy out here. Go upstairs. She's like, okay, cool. So she's going back upstairs to her room, you know, that, that she shares with Sherry. So she goes back up right. to her room. She's all, you know, shocked because, you know, she almost died and the sheriff guy almost killed her and shit and like that. And, you know, a lot of her friends are dying. So she goes up there. She hears a shower still on. She's like, oh. So she walks really slowly into the shower and she eventually opens the shower 
And I actually kind of like this one. It's pretty creepy because they're in the whole time. You had these two dead bodies with running water just been on them constantly. Right. And this one did kind of confuse me. So she goes in the shower. She opens it up. And then our boy Carl, who's Mm. dead with blind eyes, randomly twitches out and grabs her. And then he dies. Um, No. So I, well, I took that as like, she was just imagining it. Oh, okay. But this whole final scene should not even be in this movie. This movie, this scene is in this movie because they saw a similar scene at the end of Carrie and a similar scene at the end of Friday the 13th. Yeah. And they wanted this final like jump scare. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. It yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. Just like it didn't make sense in those other two movies either for it to happen. Like but, with this um, movie, yeah, I, she just should have opened the door and screamed. Because her two dead friends were in the shower running water. Because they it. don't know they're in there. Yeah. See, I was starting to laugh when that happened because I was like, "Oh, it's like they don't even know that that Carl and uh, and uh, Sherry are dead." So she's yeah. going to discover them like after the movie's over. Like this should have happened earlier in the movie where they discover that they're dead. But well, I, I don't mind it being at the end. I just didn't really get the the jump scare. I mean, I get why they did the jump scare for movie effect. But in storyline purposes, I don't really get why they did the jump scare. But I'm, I, I was cool with having that no. part at the end because, you know, she didn't know. Yeah, like, she knew one friend died, but she didn't know what happened to her other friend. And this other right. friend was supposed to be more important than her other Lisa friend. So Right. But, yeah, everybody, and that was The Prowler. So, not a bad way to end our month of May. Talking all about schools and school activities and 1980s horror movies. That was just a little bit of example of some of them with prom and prom night too and final exams and graduation days, brother. And yeah, uh, yeah. like I was saying in some of the other podcasts, like they, there are so many like school-themed horror movies that we're probably going to have to revisit it next May or something like that because there are just so much more than just the ones we watched. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So do you have any final words, Allison, of our month of May? About schools no, and mean, the movies we did. Not really. I think all these movies were pretty good. I like The Prowler. I like Prom Night. I like Prom Night 2. I like Final Exam to a degree. Um, I think all these movies are really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that all these movies are definitely worth watching for the people out there if they haven't seen them. Definitely. Very fun. Very, very fun month, everybody. Think, um, one thing I did want to say, too, about this movie is like, you know, like I mentioned before about the the uh, special effects like there's a, like the scene where he kills uh lisa in the pool is a, is a standout as well because like he like when he cuts her throat with the bayonet like it just it just it stops on that scene for a minute and then just the knife just moves back and forth and like you know you can tell that he's pulling it just enough to move but not enough to pull it out of the prosthetic on her neck yeah but like it just it just i mean it's it, it's like it's he's he's so sort of masterful in the way he can create that that look where it's like you can see it happening for several seconds instead of it just being like a quick, quick shot. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely like the the, the kill scenes in this movie were really yeah. impressive. Yeah, the special effects made this movie for sure. Definitely. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us here on the Retro Blood for our month of May. We talked all about 1980s school horror movies and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. Join us here next month as we start off a whole new month here in Retro Blood, talking a whole themed about deadly, slimy bugs.
and yeah. 19- Bugs Gone Wild. Bugs Gone Wild, brother. In 1980 horror movies, can't wait because the first one we're doing is The Nest. No, uh, this is gonna be special. It's gonna be a crazy one, brother. Actually, you know, this is all of the movies we're gonna be doing for this. I never seen any of these, so this is gonna be a pretty fun one. Coming on this, uh, this, yeah, this month yeah. of June, brothers. Bugs You'll Gone like Wild. This. I cannot, I, I cannot wait for you to experience Bugs Gone Wild month. This is gonna be great. Yeah, but I can't wait. But I'll say, you know, since we talked a little bit about the Black Flag, we'll play a little bit of the uh, Louie Louie song on here right now. You know what I mean? Punking out, rocking out, just like our boy Mark over here. You know what I mean? Young man on the job. You know, just trying to do right. Just trying to make himself the sheriff. I guess he is the sheriff now. Because they found the sheriff with the kill the whole time. So, shout out to our boy Mark. Surviving. Making his thing. So, but everybody, we will check you back here next time on the Retro Bus as we start up a new month. We will see you later. Peace out. See you guys.